the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Lott. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? <laughs> gentlemen. Gentlemen, where? There are none in here. Wait, yes, I'm a gentleman. No, no. no. So, guys and gals, tonight, uh, I want a title. I've always wanted to title a show, Nick, after tonight's episode. And I think tonight is the most appropriate night to title our show. It's jokes we've stole and lies we've told. And yet to tell. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And no more appropriate guest to have than Mr. Rabbit. Rabbit Stave. Hey, how's it going? How you doing? I think he's implying that you're full of shit. No. It's funny that he's got a guest and he, he uh, said the last name wrong. What, how, how do you say your last what, name? What is my last name? Stabe. There you go. What did I just say? Stabe. My bad. That's what everybody does. Because so. it's spelled that way. Yeah, yeah. But I, I remember the first time I learned, I'm like, that's weird. Uh-huh. But I can do it. Uh, Rabbit, so Rabbit, one of the reasons we said this, and Rabbit and I talked about the title, uh, Lies We've Told, is because we're going to talk a little bit tonight about a couple of things, and one of them is some history of Skydive Spaceland. Uh, Rabbit, you've been with Skydive Spaceland since the beginning? <sighs> yes. Yeah. And uh, there's no way in the 18 years of existence you can remember all the facts. Oh, yeah. No, it's a lot easier to make up the facts yes. than it is to remember them. So that's our goal tonight is, is those of you who, who've heard of Skydive Spaceland, who know a little bit about what's going on there. Um, I think I've been there one of the longest people. I've been there since 05. And then, uh, now there's other people who've been in and out, but I'm still at the DZ all the time, full time. Right. After that, I think anybody who's been there longer than me is either named Stive or Boyd. Boyd. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been there from the beginning. Uh, well, Matt Bessonet is not even current. He isn't. No. Oh well, screw him then. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah. Even no, you're he, the man. He now. did show up. He and Leah came out the other day to say goodbye to uh, Gwen. So I did see his face. So he's been by, but he's not current. He's so definitely not current. And he brought that up. He's a wuffo. Yeah, it, I was. I was even talking to somebody, and I was talking to Stephen, and I said, uh, I think I'm the longest continuing employee even more than Eric who's, yeah. who started out and Steven who was the original packer yeah before he became the freaking free fly god that he is yeah Steven and Eric have, have taken breaks whether it's in the middle of it at the end of it the beginning of it sure. you, by sure by far you've been here from the beginning um you've taken a little slowdowns yes uh, but you never really stopped. You knew you kept no. going. Yeah, yeah. So I want to get to the stories we've told or the lies we've told, but I, I want to uh, really hit on a hot topic right now. Something right. something that you and I already talked a little bit about is, if you want to turn it, just slide it out a little bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, have at it, dude. Yeah. Uh, Keep going, because I know where this is going. Yeah, uh, ATC privatization, air traffic control. So uh, a lot of you skydivers will know that slide it that way some, too, so it won't bang into this table. Perfect. And then whatever you want from there. Uh, air traffic control privatization, there is a sinister. A sinister, a sinister. Uh, that's the right name for those guys in Congress, sinisters. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, depends. Who's listening? Schuster is the guy's name. He's a Republican from uh, Pennsylvania. Schum- I thought it's Schuster. Schuster or Schumer? Pretty sure it's Schuster. Nick, could you check on that? Uh, From Pennsylvania, you, you said? Yeah, ATC privatization, and you'll find out who's pushing this right away. Mm. Um, e- either way, this dude's pushing it, and uh, just Tuesday night, he actually withdrew the bill from Congress. Right. 
But it doesn't mean this is a done conversation. It doesn't mean it's a done topic. Correct. So in the short of it, you're going to take the long of it, but for those of you who don't know, the federal government is considering. There are yeah, Bill le- Schuster. Bill Schuster. There are legislators out there who are pushing to privatize air traffic control. It's controlled by the government right now, controlled by the FAA. They want to remove the FAA from the equation, and it's a private entity. Right. You're a pilot for how long? Uh, 17 years. And you've been in skydiving a total of over 40 years, on again, yep. off again. Yep. So you've got a pretty good handle on this idea. Yeah. What's your thoughts on it? Here we go. <laughs> I like push the mic away. Here we go. Uh, hey, Rabbit, bring that microphone like an inch to your right. Just so, no, the other way. Uh, the other right? Yep, you're right. My right? There you go. Okay, you want to go like that's great, like that? Yep, thank you. Okay, cool. That, that this is only my second podcast, so I'm really not sure. <laughs> I do know how to look at the the uh, camera though. That's that's kind of cool. And yes, this is what happened last time, Nick. Is you asked a question and I saw something shiny. Yep, there, there it goes. And that's why we and depend Rabbit's on you life to continues. bring me back. ATC privatization, Mr. Yeah. Bill Schuster, Republican from Pennsylvania. Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you were going to oh, talk about that, it. Yeah. That, that, that was as far as we got. <laughs> okay. Uh, when he br- it's, it's been brought up a couple of times because they've been wanting to privatize. I'm going to go away from him to you. Uh, they've been wanting to privatize. <laughs> I need some whiskey. Hold on. They've been wanting to privatize uh, the ATC in order to uh, make it more efficient. And really, the airlines are the ones that want to make it efficient because they want to be able to go point-to-point easier. Totally acceptable. I mean, totally understandable. Not acceptable. Totally understandable. I'm in a business. I want my business to run more efficiently. I'm getting held up by this particular entity. How about we take over that entity? Okay, so totally makes sense. It's going to make airlines uh, more streamlined, and it's going to make uh, the advancement of uh, the ATC system happen sooner. Next gen, if nobody's heard about it, it's taking uh, going from a uh, a radar based to a satellite based navigational and awareness system. So. Right now, we've got ground bases, VORs, what have you, that... What's VOR? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, DJ. Got me, <laughs> son of a bitch. I was on a roll. Uh, what is I'm going to save the day in just a minute here. Oh. Mr. P, Mr. Oh, I got P. a VHR. Yeah. What does VOR stand VOR. for? Omnidirectional... Uh, <laughs> well, I've got a lot of things that aren't flying. Vestibular ocular reflex. No, that's not Voice it. of reason. No. Verification of rent. No. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, oh, quit looking at Urban Dictionary. That's not where I'm looking. Oh. And anyway, it's uh, ground-based. Uh, it's a radio signal. VHF, oh, Omnidirectional Radio Range, is a type of short-range radio uh, navigation that's system. That's not VOR. For aircraft. Yeah, Enabling aircraft. What was the VOR slash DME refers to combined radio navigation station for aircraft, which consists of two radio beacons placed together a VHF omnidirectional range. VHF omnidirectional range. Directional range. Oh, okay. The okay. The V is very high frequency. VHF is an acronym in the the V in VOR. Okay, I got you. Go ahead. Very high frequency omnidirectional range. Okay. So right now these ground radars VORs are. Uh, Super boring so far. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's go with what people know. And people know GPS. Okay. I look on my, on my phone and Google Maps tells us 
okay, I'm right here because it's pulling a GPS signal down. Well, before GPS, in order to navigate, you had a radio signal, and that radio signal would reach the aircraft, and the aircraft would be able to tell which direction to that radio signal. Okay? When you go very high frequency, omnidirectional uh, range, then what's happening is it's sending out a signal and saying, okay, I'm going to send out a signal in this direction, and if you're over here, you're going to be able to tell you're in that direction from this radio station, and you're going to be able to locate where you're at. Now, if you take two of them, you can triangulate because you have a radial this way, and I mean a radial in one direction and a crossing radial in another direction, so you can find out where you are. There are stars. It, when, we, when they were navigating at night, sailors, yes. they were navigating triangulating by stars. Stars. There are stars, so to speak. Correct. Okay. Correct. Uh, next gen is going to take it from those ground-based radio frequency stations to a GPS station. But in order to implement that, there has to be a lot of stuff done. And the government is taking a long time to implement it. Once it's implemented, then the airlines are going to get a great reduction in time and service because now they don't have to go from radar beacon to radar beacon, uh, radio beacon to radio beacon. They can just go direct because of GPS. So right now, aircraft are flying kind of a wandering path to make sure they're staying in contact with these things. Yes. I did not. So we're not necessarily flying the straightest line from path to path when I'm on Southwest. We're flying what keeps us in radio contact the whole time for the VOR. For the VOR. Now, mind you, uh, a lot of the airplanes are equipped with GPS already, uh -huh. and they're using that GPS in order to go from point to point. So they're not necessarily going radio beacon, radio beacon, and doing that wandering path. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, later on, what happened was they were able to uh, determine where they were at between the radio beacons, so they didn't have to go radio beacon to radio beacon. They could go between them and form a straight line. Okay. Okay. So wait, how fast is jump run? Uh, <laughs> it, right, right now it's eighty-five. <laughs> shut the hell up. All right. <laughs> so now we've got these BOR. So so now we're going to next gen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just want to get us back to skydiving. You did. There aren't many pilots listening are, to this. Are, so so are, now we're going to next-gen okay, radar. I got you. The, so privatization will allow us to increase the technology is one of the theories. What I, what I wanted to do, Nick, and the reason that I brought it up the way that I did, is I wanted to give, because USPA, uh, General Aviation, AOPA, all of those entities all are going, no, no, don't privatize uh, ATC. So what I wanted to start out with was this is the reason they want to do it. The problems that, that you run into is allowing a private enterprise take over such a large, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? A large... Uh, Public sector? Uh, holy cow, we're talking Would about the entire air traffic control system across the United States. Public controlling service? a lot of freaking airplanes. Yeah. And they're basically going to have some another company start over from scratch doing that. Uh, essentially, they're starting with a a nonprofit corporation made up of a board members that have a certain number of representatives. Some coming from the airlines, some coming from general aviation, some coming from air traffic controllers, some coming from 
so they're they're going to have a board that is supposed to be made up of of a lot of people to make those decisions. But what happens is now you've taken the decision making process out of the hands of the people and given it to the corporations. So now all the airlines are going to have I mean the airlines as a group are going to have a certain number of members and general aviation is going to have a certain number of members and the air traffic controllers are going to have a certain number of members and what I'm doing that you're not going to be able to hear on the podcast that I'm doing for mostly for the uh, Facebook is I'm putting up numbers and the numbers are uh, the airlines are going to have three members. The uh, ATC are going to have two members. General Aviation is going to have one board member. Uh, there are going to be three that are going to be uh, put on the board from the government, for example. So I guess skydiving isn't going to be very well represented among this board. It would be under the General Aviation board member, that, that representation. Now, the problem that... Uh, General Aviation, AOPA, skydiving, for one. Uh, the problem that they're having is, well, okay, we're representative, but you have a disproportionately large representation by the airlines and the people that support the airlines, the air, air traffic controllers, the pilot association, et cetera, like that, to the point where we wouldn't, as general aviation and skydivers, wouldn't have a voice to determine when we could use that airspace. And that's the big concern over everybody is who's going to say where we can fly and when? Well, if you have a disproportionately large set of people that are making that determination and they're all about their business and not your business, then they're going to say, no, you, you can't fly right now because we've got airlines that are coming in. I want to bring this specifically back to where you just you just tied it back together to our conversation earlier today. And, Nick, you say let's get it back to skydiving. So as skydivers, we want to say no. And, and, and one of the things you told me today is uh, you agree with the no, but don't just say no. Don't just call your senator, your congressman, whoever the fuck they want you to call because they told you to. Educate yourself. Understand it. Learn. And, and you just kind of gave the pros to why. The con, A, they say it's not going to cost us any money up front. We're not going to have any user fees in the first three years. Sure. Queensland Rail, uh, which is a rail company uh, that was run by the government in Australia. I've done a little homework today. Good job. Um, they actually did the same kind of thing. They were run by the government. They went to privatization. They said for uh, we're, we're, it's, it's going to be free for the normal users. It's not going to be a big deal. And after about three years, a private entity saw where they could make money. Yes. So the first potential impact of skydiving is they're not going to charge general aviation all these user fees, but as soon as they see the opportunity to make money, it's a corporate entity. It will fucking make money. Yes. But the immediate impact that I didn't understand, and this is where you enlighten me big time today, you and I have seen a conflict of airspace. You've probably seen pictures on the Internet uh, of airplanes being close to jumpers. Um, as a matter of fact, you might have been on a plane with me before that I've seen a, an airline, a very respectful airline, not their fault it happens, fly very near a bunch of us skydiving one day. And, and it's happened. Air traffic control has done a wonderful job of avoiding that happening. And you say there's a yellow ring on there. Uh, so what, what do you mean? What did you say with that? Air, yellow ring? Okay, so this is what happened is uh, an airliner was, uh, the air traffic control routed an airliner on a, on a downwind, uh, skydivers, they know, downwind base final, right? So 
and on the final to the runway, there were starting to stack up a bunch of people. So they just moved the downwind further and further and further and further. As it turns out, our drop zone is right near the base uh, leg for going from downwind to base leg is really close to our drop zone. So we were on jump run. We were dropping jumpers, and they were extending that out, and no one paid attention that there was skydiving on a, a skydiving operation going on, and they allowed us to release skydivers at the same time the airliners were coming by. So that was a big hoo-ha. Somebody made a mistake. Let's see how we're going to fix it. So the FAA, being the FAA, said, okay, we need to accommodate this particular entity. So to keep it from happening again, we're going to put on our radars, when they're in business, a yellow circle that's a two-mile radius around our drop zone. So now there's a big yellow circle, so no one will, why we're in operation, so that the controllers won't allow that to happen again. Oh, so this shows up on air traffic control screen. That's correct. Not on the pilot, nothing to do with the actual airplane coming through. That's correct. Okay. So, because the the aircraft are being controlled by ATC, they're the ones on the radar that need to be able to see where we're at and when we're operating. Dude, have you seen Pushing Ten? Come on, no, really? It's a good I movie. I don't know what that is. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up right now. Yeah, put it on your list because it's a it, it's an unrealistic view of the way ATC runs, but it gives you an idea of the kind of stuff that they have to do. Pushing Ten is pushing airplanes around, and it's an ATC um, involved movie. So that's our particular situation, is they put a ring around our drop zone in order to fix the problem. That's what the FAA would do, because everybody has equal access to the airspace. And so to keep a problem from happening, instead of saying, oh, yeah, you're kind of in the way if we want to extend out, so you're going to have to close your drop zone because uh, we're not going to allow your aircraft to operate in the airspace... Because we kind of run ATC now, and yeah, you're, you're really causing a problem, and the best way to fix that is to go ahead and shut down your business, as opposed to making a change like the FAA did and highlighting your business and keeping other aircraft away from it. Does that make sense? It makes total sense, and, and the bottom line, what you're telling me is that even though people are saying this might not have a financial impact on skydiving, let's say it doesn't, it could have an immediate shutdown effect. We are at an edge in our in our drop zone, and most drop zones in the United States are close enough to a major airport that we would all potentially see shutdowns for given conditions on given days. You guys can't fly today because we need all these commercial airlines hauling fat asses into our town. Sure. And so, guys, gals, if, if you're listening to this, if you're paying attention to this, uh, yes, uh, Schuster just pulled his bill back. So the guy who wants to do this pulled it back, and he's looking for a reformation bill. Uh, the FAA is funded until September, if I remember the month correctly. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, by that point, they have to come to another conclusion, and the goal is a reformation bill to, to get better uh, um, financing, just, just to get the math and the science better, mainly the money. Um, it doesn't mean the bill's dead just because he pulled it. He has pulled it. It is dead for the moment, but they might resuscitate it. Sure. Educate yourself. I'm with Nick. I don't want to spend too much time crushing this pig. Um, no, I'd like to understand it. I think I was just a little lost about how it applied to skydiving. To to sky yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I had to get there because we're going from aviation to skydiving. Right. And you're probably right. I should probably started with skydiving and then brought in the aviation 
I'll remember that next time. I, no, I, I think you did just fine. I drug you I, there. If, if, I, if, if you would have started with a comment like, well, just so you guys can put into context why they want to do this, this is why it is. Okay. I just thought we had gotten lost down the rabbit hole of, uh, of pilot <laughs> lingo. It, it's happened with gaming on the show before, yeah. and uh, the audience gets pretty bored pretty fast when they're not gamers. Yeah. So I just wanted what? to make sure that we weren't going uh, to lose anyone's attention over it. You know, Start playing a new game. That. So anyways. Nobody gets shit. <laughs> so I got an Xbox now. Oh, God, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mentioned gaming. I'm sorry, world. Ivy likes Borderlands too. So, anyways, uh, the other thing that potentially happens is like Queensland Rail. They said we're not going to uh, impact a fee. Eventually, this bill, if it comes back and they do this privatization, all of a sudden they start using uh, raising user fees. When they raise user fees, skydive any place in the United States is not going to go. Oh, we'll just absorb that. They're going to say increase jump prices. Sure. There's no way a drop zone owner can absorb the kind of prices that are going to happen. Sure. There's countries that it's $40, $50, $60 to make a skydive as a fun jumper because of things like this. Yes. So look into this a little bit more. If you see Rabbit on the drop zone, say hello. If you see Ben Nelson on the drop zone, give him the biggest hug in the world. I just got to drop hug. that bomb out there because Ben right now needs his love. He needs his friends. Give Ben a giant hug and, and tell him how much you love him. You know, Ben hates hugs, right? Oh, is that true? Oh yeah, Ben doesn't. He hugs me all the time. Great. He's not a hugger. Um, well, you, yeah. Kisses me on the lips. Yeah. Do you? Do you? But do you give him tongue? Uh, I don't know. No, it you don't. Depends on if I've had my no, coffee you, or no, not. No, you don't. You know, maybe I'm feeling a little frisky. Leave that to Josh and I. Josh Harrington and I. We'll give each other some tongue. <laughs> we touched tongues the other day. That was yeah, not the way it meant to be. I don't think about that. <laughs> yeah, that was horrible. Um, <laughs> so let's go back to air traffic control now. You want to go there? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that that's that's sorry we had to uh, talk about that one a little bit. Um, yep. it's a little bit of fun. It's a little bit of a pain. Um, what's coming up and, and where we're going is we're going to go to Skydive Spaceland and a little bit of the history. Uh, but just for one second, I, I really got to throw out a little bit of love. Uh, we're about to hang out with our good friend Kelly Farrington this week. Owner of Velocity Sports Equipment. Kelly owns Ooh. Velocity Sports Equipment and yeah. the maker of Infinity Rigs. Uh, Nick, for the first time, you're getting to get to meet Kelly. You've not got to meet him yet. I'm probably going to wear this jersey, so he thinks I'm really, really cool. Uh, you should. And I, Turn I, the I, camera on yourself. It yeah. is. Don't oh, worry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hey, yeah. And I... <laughs> oh. Oh, and I've had to make lady. sure that I uh, wear the white jersey because I have the same jersey, so we can both kiss ass and not look like twinsies. I mean, well, I'm gonna have the we're same, gonna look like fucking nerds. I'm gonna have the same backpack as you on. Ah, oh, God, really? I'm not gonna bring that backpack then. No, because I'll Why? have a bunch of shit. Come on, dude. Rory's gonna be in a purple one. I'll be in a white one. You'll be in a red one. Wait, did you say what we're gonna be? Did you already disclose this information? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I have. I Do think it. I've said on here that we've got some super secret ninja tunnel thing now. going on. Oh, him. you did say tunnel. Yeah, I have to the right. tunnel. Yeah. But that's all I can say. Um, say more, dude. I wish I could, brother. So Infinity, they. I've been jumping, dude. They are coming out with yeah. rocket packs and a self-packing parachute system. Oh, the yeah, reason I knew you it. want an Infinity rig <laughs> is if you buy an Infinity rig in 2019, the yeah, motherfucker will good. pack itself. Self-packing rigs. You know, all Way you have to, to do to make it pack in. itself uh -huh. is leave six dollars in the container and uh -huh. walk away, and you'll come back. It'll be, be packed, packed. dude. Six dollars every time you land, oh, you'll be amazed. I love that. <laughs> I'm getting one. <laughs> Sounds awesome. And I don't even jump much anymore. <laughs> this is funny and racist against Asians, so I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> uh, 
uh, the Venezuelans, Carlos and Fernando, came into the video room the other day. They came running in like they had something super exciting to show me. Uh-huh. And they showed me this video that they must have found on, I don't know if it was Instagram or if it was a Facebook ad or whatever, yeah. but it's like a machine that folds your clothes for you, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. It's just, he put, it's it's a big yeah. robot, a big like washing machine <laughs> size and shape device that you set your shirt in there and it comes out folded. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, isn't this the coolest thing ever? I was like, yeah, I've already got one. I've got one of those at home. They're like, what, really? I was like, yeah, except for it's Asian and it was free. <laughs> and uh, oh. sorry, lady. <laughs> but uh, yeah, tiny little Asian people, they fold clothes real good. Dude, my dad used to always joke around with his friends. Yeah, man, I got one of those Japanese dishwashers. You did? Yeah, man, meet my wife, Kimmy. <laughs> that was <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. It's great. Dude, dad was great at like uh, Japanese racist problem. jokes growing up. And uh my mom used to tell my dad, "Hey, go tell, go tell grandmother, my my Obachana's grandmother, go up to uh, Obachan and say Obachan krasizo, which is grandmother, I'm going to hit you." So he would go up and in the sweetest possible voice say, "Grandma, I'm going to hit you," and my grandma would look at him with like, "God bless your heart, you're an idiot," because <laughs> she knew my mom was jacking with dad. I mean, yeah. if you ever wonder where I get my sense of humor, meet my mom. What are you laughing sorry, at? Sorry, Sam's listening to the podcast right now. <laughs> the Asian folding machine. Yeah, sorry. I love you. I did make that joke, though. Uh, dude, Wait Sam, minute, Sam, don't get mad. We do origami and laundry. It's a fucking stereotype we live up to. His Asian girlfriend. Yeah, the one, the butt of my uh, laundry folding joke. Yes. Yeah, she's, she's listening. Have you uh, not never met <laughs> Sam? Uh, uh, Sam who? Yeah, you don't. We have a tiny little brown girl, little Filipino <laughs> thing. <laughs> nope. Does handstands real good? Nope. Smells nice. Dude, uh-huh. Nick met this girl in the hangar doing a handstand contest. It's, it's, nice. She was meant for him. You know who won? Nick. Goddamn right. Yeah. No, you know who won that handstand I, contest? Everybody who was watching. <laughs> <laughs> us. Those of us. Dude. I think, Sam, I may have mentioned this to you. Your uh, leggings were a little bit see-through. Everybody was looking at your butt. Sorry. Should have told you. I didn't know you then. <laughs> And straight up, dude, <laughs> she had very sheer leggings on, and Nick is doing this handstand contest with her. And if you see Nick do a handstand where he sits on the ground, puts his hands below him, and then rotates all the way around and up, mm-hmm. yeah, Sam can do these kind of things as well. <laughs> and Nick <laughs> would do a move, she would do a move, and every dude on the DZ just stood there and clapped. Yeah! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, and, that and here butt. I'm looking at is all the thumbs up. Oh man, Sam, we love you. We're gonna do dinner sometime soon. Please don't punch me when we get there. If you try, I'll hold you by the hey, forehead away from we me. Can't have Asian on Asian crime. You guys are a community that needs to stick together. Yellows yeah. hate yellows. Just saying. What? I don't think that's true. Is that? Oh, I guess there's some. So here's one Do thing. Filipino people really have beef with anybody? <laughs> No, Filipino beef doesn't have Filipinos but, don't have beef with anybody. But I mean, Japanese and Chinese, right? I know that there's a feud there. There's no beef so. In first of all, Japanese are the most superior Asian race. Chicken. You can ask anybody that who's Japanese. <laughs> and then Koreans, man, they're kind of Japanese, but they're kind of Chinese, so they're kind of a mutt. So we're not, you know, Pigs. Chinese. Mm, they're the enemy. They're communist. And then everybody else is is, is Filipino, Vietnamese, Kame- K- Cambodian. They're all the same. Lamb. I'm sorry. I have no wait, idea. Wait. They're all they're all underneath us. No. Um. <laughs> Jesus, dude. Yep. Is that kind of what, what's so great about Japan, dude? Well, we, you guys came up with sushi. That's cool. We we have some of the coolest porn ever. No, it's all blur. <laughs> the dicks are all blurred out, man. Yeah. So can't our, get down with that. So, so we're got to see that dick, son, dude. Yeah. 
you know, you grow up <laughs> he watching. Needs to, he needs to see the dick. You grew up watching porn somehow. Somehow you got introduced to porn through Playboy or through a video or today the internet. When I got when I was the age to get introduced to porn, I lived in Japan. I got introduced to some really weird shit. Japanese porn is my first porn. I was like, "Fuck this noise! I am out." So it. it, it I know where it, this is going. Hold on. No, it gets kinky. You're gonna go get a drink. No, don't do it. Don't yeah. get weird. What? No, no, no. no. <laughs> is he gonna pull it? No, he's so it. afraid now. No, no so I was mostly talking to DJ because <laughs> he's gonna say some borderline creepy shit that I just can't handle, and then I'm gonna lose my mind. Go, no, do it. I can't. No, I won't describe the porn. Okay, it was just. Good, it was too wrong for me, thank man. You. And you know how wrong I can get. I I couldn't. I couldn't <laughs> get. I couldn't get that wrong. Um. <laughs> if you're just listening, Rabbit's trying to hold his junk up to the camera. That's not true. He teased like he was going to. No, no genitals will be shown on this show. <laughs> Only asses, Glenn. Glenn Downing. Did he? Sh- he pulled his butt out. Oh, he had yeah, a funny yeah. tattoo on his yeah. butt. And you know, Hank said he's gonna get that tattoo, and we have to hold Hank to that statement. Wait, Hank just joined. I'm glad you just said this. I just looked down as he as he started listening. Hi, Hank. So, isn't Hank gonna get a tattoo of Glenn pulling his pants down, showing the tattoo on his butt? Isn't that how it's gonna be? Like a picture in a picture sort of thing. I thought it was the same tattoo. Okay. Either way, either way, it's fine. Either way is epic. And as a matter of fact, if Hank could get the same tattoo as Glenn, except for having the squirrel, it's Glenn. That would be even better. <laughs> Hank has a that's, tattoo of Glenn on his ass. That, that's a really good idea. So hey, wait, what? Hank has a tattoo of. Talk into that. <laughs> talk into that microphone. We need to reset. There we go. Hank has no. A, Glenn has Glenn? a tattoo on his ass. Glenn, who's Glenn? Uh, Glenn Downing. He's a tandem instructor. He's okay, been gone we're all for done. Too long. So, anyways, uh, Infinity, uh, Infinity, Bossy Sports Equipment. <laughs> Thank you Back guys so track. much. Yeah, they, they've actually been a huge supporter and a huge help for the show. Right now, check out Nick's shirt if you're watching the video. Nick's wearing a VSE jersey. If you go to yeah. uh, Velocity Sports Equipment or That's excuse me, awesome. VelocityRigs.com, you can go to their website, go to the store, and they actually have these jerseys for sale. Check them out. Uh, they're actually going to be white instead of a base red, but uh, give them an order. Riley's got a bunch of them ready. Get them out. Get them on your back. Look sexy for the start of the season. Rabbit. Boom. You started skydiving at Spaceland in 2000. Yeah, that's when the drop zone opened up. And what was your, like, what was, you have a really cool first in your book. What is it? I have a really cool first. First. The first. Let's see. Tandem. Oh, I did do the first. Oh, that's. Yeah. Sorry. I missed the setup, buddy. I'm I'm starting to, sorry, my bad. Um. So he's taking a quick swig, but Rabbit actually did the first, not paying tandem, he did the first tandem. Somebody on the book's pain is another story, but money means nothing. Actually making the skydive means everything. Well, what what ended up happening was uh, Steve hadn't opened up yet. The hangar, was, the hangar one was still just a frame. Uh, I think they actually had the sides up, but the offices were in the midst of being built. And we had a 182. The otter hadn't come in yet, and somebody wanted to do a tandem. And Steve goes, well, uh, who wants to do the tandem? And I was like, raise my hand. Yeah, you know, pick me. I'll, I'll, take, the, I'll take it in the 182. And I said, but the only, the only thing is, and I, I didn't tell him this because he was flying the 182. I didn't tell him this till we were halfway up that I was charging him double. And he said, that's fine. I'll, I'll pay you double. So it was actually a paid gig. And I got paid double for the very first uh, tandem at Skydive Spaceline. I thought it wasn't a paying gig. 
No, I know. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you did the first tandem at Spaceland, and, yeah. and it's so funny because the one thing that screams out to me in that yeah. is one thing Steve Boyd has never been able to say no to right. is somebody wanting to do business and give him money. Sure. I want to do a tandem. Okay. Yeah. I want to do a tandem. And I see so many DZOs who limit the tandems, who limit this, who limit that. And he definitely, we, we are the furthest thing from a tandem factory. We do tons of fun jumps as well. Oh, yeah. And, and my, we teach a lot of students. Yeah. I mean, tandem is just a vehicle to get to making skydivers. Yeah. I, I actually recently got some numbers from USPA, and Spaceland this last year was the number one school. Graduated the most A licenses last year. Uh, number two wasn't horribly far behind us. But if you combine the four Spacelands, we have double what number two has. Right. God, I thought it had been that, that way for a few years, hasn't it? Yes. Um, it has been for a few years, but I think the numbers that you heard were a little bit exaggerated. Just because I, I actually got the statistics of the numbers. Um, Spaceland Houston has not done ever double the numbers of the next drop zone combined we have. Okay, okay, I got you. And that's where I was confused, and I wasn't sure, because I thought Spaceland Houston had done double the licenses right, that anybody has. Um, and so I actually went to USPA. They will not tell me who did what because they can't release certain information, but they can give me numbers and tell me where they lie. So I found out some numbers. Just I wanted to know where we were at. That's all. Yeah, yeah. But combined by far, we double everybody. Us and Dallas combined th- double everybody. Or number two. Well, I'm going to still go with Spaceland Houston is still number one for producing by far the most skydivers in the sport in the United States. By far, dude. Absolutely yeah. by far. And it's been really cool. You know, Steve does. And it's funny because you look at drop zones like us who do a shitload of tandems and they're tandem factories. They don't care about anything else but turning tandems out. And, and I get that. That's a $100 bill every time sure. they come through, as some DZOs will say. Yeah. But you know Steve well enough, man. The philosophy is, is if I can get him to do a tandem, I can get him to be a student. If I give him a student, I can get him to be a fun jumper and get gear. He sees the big picture. Sure. And, and we get to see that. And you got to actually today look at all these jumpers around. Somehow you started that seed with the first tandem here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, it, for one, it, it's an honor to, to be that person. The second half of it is it's an honor to be part of this organization for this amount of time. Uh, I was a nomad originally, so I came from California. Well, if you haven't heard the podcast, <laughs> podcast then you, uh, you'll find out where, how, I, how I got to I'll, I'll find out what, uh, what episode number that was, so anyone who wants to hear your first uh, visit to the show can check it out. Yeah, it, and the first visit to the show essentially gave, me, uh, gave you, the listener, all of the information up to me moving to Houston, I think. Uh, yeah, we just start to SPX now. <laughs> and you actually you're wearing SPX. So let's let's go back. You did the first tandem in Houston and now we're kinda gonna go back into the history of skydiving in Spaceland for Rabbit. Okay. So you started skydiving where we left off at SPX. SPX was where again? Uh and the shirt that I'm wearing that he's talking about is a team that uh, Tom Jenkins started called SPX. Uh SPX was the original identifier for the airport in League City that Spaceland started at. League City is an airport that was close to uh, NASA, so they would use that airport to transport people uh, back and forth to get to NASA uh, when they weren't using Ellington Field. So that's where SPX came from, okay? Uh, That drop zone in League City... um, was originally called Spaceland Air Corporation, owned by a guy named Lindsay. 
And when I moved from California to Houston, um, I went a long time trying to find myself in Houston. And that was back in the days of the original uh, chat networks. And they would give you a box and you would get on there and you would start chatting. And uh, I was chatting along trying to find friends and what have you. And I started chatting with this guy named Skydiver. And to this day, I don't know who it was, but I went, yeah, I used to skydive because I, you know, I had gone to school, got married, uh, moved to Houston in a job, and I dropped out of skydiving for a while. And I said, yeah, I used to skydive. And he says, well, why don't you come on down? We got a drop zone that's uh, down I-45 called uh, Spaceland. Hey, yeah, maybe I'll look into that. So I went down there, and that was back in 90... 91, 92, something like that, and stepped on back onto the drop zone scene. I had my tandem rating. I had my AFF rating. You know, I was essentially just a skydiver. Um, What's wrong with being just a skydiver? Say again? What's wrong with being just a skydiver? Uh, nothing's wrong with it, except <laughs> you can't make any money. <laughs> that is the truth. Yeah. But skydivers think they're cool, and they're really not. Uh, well, Remember it, that? Yeah. Jumping chair? Back then. <laughs> <laughs> Remember who had that Jeremy? Jeremy Kitchens? Mm-hmm. Now you're catching up. He had that sticker? Yeah. Uh, a good buddy of ours who worked at the Drop Zone, Jeremy Kitchens, actually had a sticker, and, and I might misquote it slightly, but jumpers think they're really cool, but they're not. Do you know how right. to tell... Uh, what is it? What's the joke? How do you know skydivers yeah, in the room? Yeah, how do you know skydivers in the room? Yeah, they'll tell you. Yeah. yeah it's. Oh. That goes for a lot of stuff, though. Yeah, but it's very true for skydivers. It is kind of true. Painfully so. Yeah, I, I'm at the point in my skydiving that I, if I wear a skydiving shirt in public, it says PD. So a skydiver might know, but nobody else is going to know. Because the last thing I want to do is spend 60 hours a week on a drop zone talking about skydiving and then go to dinner and talk about skydiving. That's funny because I've got a, a T-shirt that says, I'm a skydiving pilot. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like spending your day teaching skydiving and then going home to where you have a podcast where you talk about skydiving constantly. Oh, dude, yeah. you know? It sounds painful. It does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, but we were signed up for this, man. And I actually, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rabbit trail. Let's go to there for sure. a second. I, it's so many times that I've gone to dinner with different buddies. Uh, I, I, Kyle Schoonover, you know Kyle. He, we were uh, at an event together, and we go out to dinner as a big group. And the young jumper, everybody's working in the industry except for this young jumper. And the young jumper won't stop talking about skydiving. And at some point, Kyle is very good at politely telling people, hey, man, that's work. We're off work. Let's talk about anything and everything else except for skydiving. If you want to tell us about something kind of cool skydiving, that's one thing. But we don't, it's not a good place to answer questions. It's not a good place to you know, get information. This is just us trying to hang out and chill. And for new jumpers, young jumpers, I cannot stress that enough. Valerie and I went to dinner with two buddies, new jumpers, 50 jumps each. One dude wouldn't stop asking skydiving questions after we'd been on the DZ for 14 hours. Halfway through dinner, hey, bro, I'm sorry I'm asking about skydiving all day after you've been, you know, in the drop zone all day. I'm like, yeah, no, dude, I'm, I'm glad you appreciate it. <coughs> Thank, you. Thank you, Rabbit. That's nice. <laughs> I'm glad you get it, man. I've been at work all day. I don't want to talk about work anymore. Thank you for understanding. Oh, yeah, yeah, no big deal. And then he kept asking skydiving questions. Dude, if you're hanging out with a skydiver, especially working skydivers, after hours at a restaurant, a club, a bar. You got you screwed it up. Talk okay. about something else. No, you screwed it up. I, I would say that's very true if you're a new skydiver. No. Yes. Because no. new, new skydivers and experienced skydivers talk about skydiving in a pretty different way. Oh. Like, I could hang out with, with oh. Tex, for example. You, and for sure. And shoot the shit about skydiving and talk all about it. 
but we connect on a level that you know the, the understanding just isn't there from a, a, a new jumper of what we mean. Yeah. Like uh, nuance is one of my favorite words. So a lot of the things we're talking about are very nuanced, where you need to have a, a pretty detailed understanding of everything to really contribute to the conversation. Or what are you doing dancing with your hands over there? Okay. I'm doing that, so you'll shut the hell up long enough for me to say this about that. Tell me. You ever owe a case of beer? Oh, yeah, all the time. Why? Well, because I fucked up and I need to learn. No, that's wrong. Have you ever owed a case of beer? Yes. Why? Because I did something for the first time. Yeah, yeah. And you know what you do when you do something for the first time? You want to tell somebody about it. Usually new skydivers, they're like, oh, I just did my first four-way, and we did four points, and it was <laughs> awesome, and I want to talk about it. Oh, let's go to dinner. Oh, I've been at work all day long, Dwight. As experienced so, skydivers. Hold on. God ahead. damn it. My fucking story. Move that mic away from your mouth. <laughs> the hostility. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Bounce that bitch right I think that's there. the first time someone's been punched with a microphone on the show. That's great. <laughs> So we owe beer for punching rabbit in the face with a microphone. Okay, they're so, excited. So let me say this about that: is it's a great way to get beer. Oh, I got I got some skydiving questions. Great, buy me a beer. So that's where the case of beer actually came from. Yes. First was, oh, I just made this great four way. Oh, great. Go down and buy a case of beer, and we're going to sit here and drink your beer while you talk about and ask questions so you're, about. you're saying as long as I'm listening to your bullshit, you're going to be, I'm going to be drinking on your On your dollar. beer. Okay. Yeah. Great. And that's where the case of beer, now it's been distorted to, it's, oh, wow, that's the first time I took a pee today. A case of beer! You said first case of beer! But in the spirit I'm, of the case of beer... The spirit of the case of beer is you want to be able to tell somebody about it, and we want to drink your beer while you do it. I've also, uh, the other side, there's two sides to that. You're also bribing us for our experience. Hey, Rabbit, thanks for the beer, man. Why'd you buy beer? Oh, great story. Let me tell you about the first time that happened to me, and now we gain experience from each other. So I would would say let me fix my statement, and the fix to my statement is if you're going out to dinner with a bunch of skydivers, particularly working skydivers, don't ask us a bunch of questions of how to do things. Don't ask us how to become a better skydiver. Don't ask us a bunch of work questions. Tell us cool, cool skydiving stories. I can never take that away. And uh, Nick, I definitely agree with that level to level of you and Tex. I could listen to you guys talk skydiving all day. It's not necessarily just a level thing. It, it's exchange cool stories, but don't make me work and tell you things that I do it work all day long. Don't ask a bunch of technical questions. That, that would be the better statement. Yeah, unless you're willing to buy a lot of beer. Get or scotch in our case. Oh, yeah. Yeah, by the way, this episode is sponsored by <laughs> Monster. <laughs> if you listen to Rabbit last time, you hear a lot of this. So now you come back to SPX yeah. and, and that you jump there for a while. And eventually you go to Warren. Like, how does this get to Warren? Okay, what, what happened was uh, the airport and League City wanted uh, skydivers out after 30 years of being there. And so Lindsay moved the drop zone to Anahuac, which is on the east side of town over the river. Mm-hmm. While we were there, Chuck Akers went, you know what? I just don't like the way you're running things, so I want to open up another drop zone. So Chuck Akers opened a drop zone up in Waller, which became Skydive Houston. Skydive Houston uh, moved uh, his investors, moved him out of ownership and into management and out of management into 
uh, were taking over the drop zone. So he opened up another drop zone down in Wharton, which is southwest of uh, of Houston. It's called, and he called it Skydive USA. So when Chuck made his made his move over to uh, Waller. Uh, it was about the same time that I had pissed Lindsay off, and he kicked me off the drop zone. So I went over to uh, Chuck's drop zone, and started working for him at Waller or Wharton. Uh, in Waller, okay. The 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 first drop zone in Houston was SPX in Lake City. Skydive uh, was Spaceland Air Corporation. The second drop zone in Houston was the drop zone that Chuck opened up in Waller, called Skydive Spaceland. The third drop zone in Houston was the drop zone that Chuck opened up in Wharton called Skydive USA. And you meant Skydive Houston when you said Waller. Skydive Houston was in Waller. You said Spaceland. Oh, did I help? Yeah, no, just just make sure we're clear. Sure, my bad. Make sure I'm clear. The fourth drop zone opened in Houston was Skydive Spaceland opened by uh, Steve, Steve Boyd. Mm Mm-hmm. So when Chuck moved to Waller, I went to Waller. When Chuck got kicked out and wanted to open up Wharton, I went went and helped him open Wharton. Uh, And I wasn't jumping enough, so I got a job at Fox Sports Network, running running, uh, one of the boards at Fox Sports. And while I was there, uh, while I was... I'm sorry. I'm going to back up. Pull the lever. And I'm going to pour some whiskey. So I can recontinue this. <laughs> <laughs> he did say to me today at the DZ, I'm not going to drink as much as last time. Yeah, I, that's why I'm good. Are you on track Th- so th- far? Thanks for bringing only a quarter bottle of whiskey. There's a time. reason I brought this bottle, because it was a little bit lower. Yeah. I don't mind. Dude, he drank three quarters of a bottle last time and replaced it with a full bottle. So sure. I don't mind one bit. What a gentleman. Yeah. Dude, a gentleman. Are you sure you're a skydiver? Uh, I'm actually a skydiving pilot now by profession. I would go. But once a skydiver, always a skydiver. I think so. So while I was in Waller, uh, Roger Nelson was down in Lake Wales and lost one of his airplanes. And so he called around and our twin otter was available to fly to Lake Wales to be in a record attempt. 244 way, I believe. And when it went, I... Didn't have anything to do that week. Our airplane was going to be gone. I asked to hitch a ride on the airplane to go. And while I was down there, I was going, well, at the time, I was a videographer and a tandem master. And I went, well, you know, while I'm down there, maybe I can shoot some tandem videos while I'm down there and, you know, make a couple of bucks. And if nothing else, I'm on a great adventure, right? So that'll be great. Uh, I got down there, and Jack Burke, who is the the captain of Deguayo, uh, talked to Mike Garza, which was the captain of the video team for the record attempt, who used to work for Roger Nelson, who owned Skydive Chicago. Everybody with me so far? Yeah. 1997. You left okay. the year out. Oh, was it? I be- Was the Sandy Wombox event? Uh, yeah, probably. 97, no, I, I believe. I'll go with 97. That yeah, sounds, yeah. I that believe, sounds... Yeah, I believe that's when Sandy... It was either 96 or 97. That sounds... The 244 ways? No, it had to be earlier than that because in 96, I was in the world meet in Annapa. Okay. And I might be off on my years because that's right before I started skydiving. I okay. started in 97. So to get Nick back on track... Uh, I went the plane out there. Jack Burke talked to Mike Garza and got me on the video team for shooting the world record. They gave me a sector. In the middle of all that, uh, Roger came up to me and said, you know, 
Rabbit, I really like the way you're shooting video. I'd like you to come up to uh, Skydive Chicago and work for me. And I was like, well, I'm, I kind of live in Houston, I'm, I, and I got a job, and I'm, or, you know, I'm really not. He says, if you ever get freed up, come up to Skydive Chicago. I'll hire you. You can work on our team. And I said, okay, great. Well, toward the end of the meet, the, the plane had to go back to Houston, and I decided that I was just going to stay because I was shooting a sector that I was going to stay. And Roger said, "Well, I'll give you a plane. I'll give you a plane ride back if you just stay and finish shooting the sector." So I let the Otter go back to Houston, and I stayed. And this is kind of a segue in too. I stayed in Lake Wales and I shot the rest of the meet. When we got done, he says, uh, "I can give you a plane ticket back to Houston right now, or if you can, do me a favor. I need you to drive a van." with a bunch of equipment back up to Chicago. Once you're in Chicago, then I'll, I'll plane ride you back to Houston. Okay, it's Roger Nelson, you know, one of the biggest names in skydiving at the time. Um, I said, sure, I'll, I'll take the van up. So I drove the van up and shot it back down. While we were up there, he showed me his operation and what he was doing. This is back when it was in San... In, it was in Ottawa, but it was at the, the small airport. And he says come on back. And I said, okay, that sounds good. So I went back down to back down to Houston, and that's when Chuck opened up the other drop zone. I worked at that drop zone. I got a job with Fox Sports. I worked there for three years. And after the third year, uh, I was dating a girl, Rue Richie, and uh, we made that, that leap out of the real world into the skydiving world where you quit your real job and you go and you you do skydiving full time. And so we bought a mobile home and we drove the mobile home up to Skydive Chicago. That was in 99. Uh, Work 99, we came back down and we lived in San Antonio at Rue's parents' house for the winter. And at the end of that winter of 99... At the end of that winter in 99 um, is when Steve opened up his drop zone, or he was building his drop zone. And at the very beginning of 2000, January 2000, February 2000, uh, Rue and I went, hey, we hear there's a, there's a new drop zone opening up in Houston. Let's go check it out. Is it Chuck's drop zone? No. Okay, let's go check it out anyway. So we drove some San Antonio over to here, and we came in, and we see this shell of a hangar that's like a real drop zone hangar, like we saw up in Chicago. And we went, wow, man, this this guy's really putting some stuff together. So we went in, and we talked to Steve, and, and got to know him, and made some history, and did the tandem out of the, the 182, and hung out there for a little bit, and Steve comes up, and he goes... Rabbit, I want you to stay here and work for me. <laughs> I said, well, I, I really can't do that because I've made a commitment to Roger up in Chicago to work for him this season. He says, yeah, break that commitment and just come work for me. And I said, I'm a skydiver by trade. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of stuff. I have one basic thing, and I've got my word. And I gave Roger my word. So I'm going back up to Chicago. And he says, okay. I can I can live with that. When you get done, 
in, a, in the he shut down for the winter, then come back down here and work for me. So we did tandems video. Rue and I did tandems and video until it was time to go back up to Chicago. We went back up to Chicago in uh, August or September when the when the season quit. We came back down, and I've been with Steve in in Houston ever since. I don't think he knew what he was asking for. <laughs> if he would have years and ago, if he completely would have only known. <laughs> no, and it's been amazing because Steve really wanted you there, and and there has been times, and I hope I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but I, I don't think this is, is bad things to share. That you've actually considered doing something else, going other places, and leaving and changing careers, and Steve has continuously come back to you and said, "What can I do to make sure you're happy?" So Steve has really wanted you, but he's also ensured your happiness to keep sure. you. And it's been cool to see. I, I had no clue this is how it began. Yeah, yeah. I had no clue. Chuck, I knew Chuck owned Skydive USA. Yes. The guy who owned, who bought Skydive USA from Chuck when Chuck shut down, who bought the rights to everything there, right. is a guy named Bob Doherty. Yes. Do you know who Bob Doherty is? Yeah, yeah. The guy I used to work for. And I was actually supposed to move to Houston to help him reopen Wharton under his banner. Okay. And um, I came here for the winter to work for Steve in 05. Right. I was going to go back up. And th- in the, the year of, o- actually, the, the, yeah, the summer of 06, Bob was going to decide if he was going to open Warren back up or not. And my goal is either to come back down here and, and work full-time at Warren or come sure. back full-time and work for Steve. Um, <laughs> I had, uh, whichever one was a better opportunity. You're right. And, right. And, um, so that was my goal. So I know a lot about Warren's history. I had no fucking clue Chuck owned Waller. Yeah, yeah. He started Skydive Houston. He started Waller. He started Skydive Houston from and, the ground up. And there's zero doubt in my mind that that Spaceland will be a legacy of two different corporations said and done, two different companies said and done, a legacy in Houston skydiving. Yeah. But Waller is one of the foundations. Skydive Houston right now is a completely different company, a completely different set of people, and, and they're doing what they're doing, and they're doing a fair job of it. Yeah. But the old skydive Houston that we knew and that I grew up in the Houston area, at least I didn't grow up here, but what I saw is a foundation to skydive in Houston. Right. And Chuck fucking started that DZ. Yeah. Fucking A, Chuck. And, that's, and, and, and let me say this, a foundation of skydiving in Houston, in, in kind of that era, because yes. Scott, uh, Spaceland Air Corporation, which was owned by Lindsay, and before that, Mike Smith, and before that, Dave Boatman. That's why I know the name Mike Smith. Dave Boatman was, uh, and and there's a big controversy on whether Orange, uh, Skydive Orange, or Dave Boatman first brought Twin Otters into the sport. So Dave Boatman used to work for Metro Airline, flying Twin Otters from uh, Hobby to uh, Ellington Field. And once again, this is the lies we've told, right? Uh, yeah. I, I think this is true, though, that Dave ended up pulling the seats out of this Metro airliner, taking the door off, flying skydivers for the weekend, putting the doors and the seats back on and taking it and putting it back into service, running uh, customers between... The uh, two fields, wherever they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really think that that's a true story? There's enough people that have told me it. That's amazing. I've heard enough of these stories as well. Yeah. And really, he's not the first... He might be the first. He's not the only one. Uh, Bob Burwell... Own Viking Express for a few years. He was based out of Kankiki. Uh, actually, he started in Greensburg, Indiana, with a partner. Moved to Kankiki, Illinois, and they flew cargo throughout the week. And then on weekends, reconfigured it, flew jumpers. It wasn't a huge reconfiguration from cargo to self-unloading cargo with attitude. Right, right. Um, 
man, it's... And that was 30 years that that went on before Chuck ever opened Skydive Houston. So a foundation of, of the extension. Because yes. really, the, and it was it was a large extension. It was a whole other wing of skydiving. Correct. Because Waller lived on for a very long time. And Spaceland Air Corporation shut its doors, and Lindsay sold his otter to someone else. And once upon a time, I, I remember when I moved here in 05, uh, there were reasons Waller was bigger, and there were reasons Spaceland were bigger. We actually, Skydive Houston, Skydive Waller had their different be- benefits and advantages. Sure, sure. Um, unfortunately, different things happened. Relationship with the airport, the, just all sorts of really just bad things that happened, right. and, and they went under. Uh-huh. And a completely different entity, a guy named Jimmy, has reopened under the same name. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know they opened back up. No, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know they opened back up. So he 182 operation, mainly focusing on tandems. They're sure. trying to eventually track fun jumpers. Um, guy who owns Dallas Skydiving Center. Okay. Same guy. Um, so now you come to Steve Boyd. Now you're a Skydive Spaceland Houston. Wow. Yeah. This drop zone started. Yeah, get, lead me up into that while I, I drink some of this. This uh, drop zone whiskey. started with a little bit of a shell, and you kind of described it. And, Nick, have you ever been to Skydive Chicago? Uh, yeah, I have. I think I was there for Nationals in 2010. Have you ever noticed a similarity in their hangar layout and our hangar layout? Gosh, I hadn't been to Spaceland at okay. that time, so I, that wasn't really in my brain. So, Rabbit, you're going to have to confirm this statement, but first of all, I, I'm positive with this statement. Roger was a huge influence on on Steve Boyd. Yes. And and for those who don't know, because a lot of people today don't have any clue who Roger Nelson is. Uh, oh, that's a good point. Uh, a lot of people do know who Rook Nelson is. Share with us who Roger is okay. in, in history. Well, Rook is the owner of Skydive Chicago right now. And, and Roger, a badass flyer. Oh, God, yes. Like... One of the most natural flying skydivers that I know, and I know a lot of skydivers. He is one of the best natural-born skydivers. Uh, talent, incredible talent. And then I've known him since he was a kid. That's <laughs> that's fucking. That's really cool. Anyway, Roger was his dad. Uh, there's a lot of stories and a lot of lies that I could tell about Roger and how he got started. And But if you read Sugar Alpha. Yes, I have not read it yet, but explain what Sugar Alpha Sugar, is. Sugar Alpha is a, a book that he was writing about his exploits that he didn't finish, that his daughter Melissa finished uh, with some help and etc. But it's a good foundation to find out uh, where Roger got his roots and started in skydiving and his exploits in order to build Quincy, uh, bring one C-130s to Quincy, which was uh, one of the biggest freefall conventions in the United States for a great number of years before it was taken over by Don Curling? Curling. Yeah. Don Curling. Anyway, uh, Roger was a huge name in skydiving and big in advancement. He was uh, uh, the one that brought square parachutes to students. He was the one that brought uh, zero P to student equipment back when uh, you bring zero P to a student and they're going to kill themselves. He put students on a sapphire, which was unheard of. He went from zero P to advanced 
zero P. Canopies. Yeah. Which still is not a standard today, but for drop zones like Spaceland, we're not the only ones. Roger and right. Rook and other people like it sure. are putting drops. We don't put students on student canopies. We put them on sport canopies that have reasonable wing loadings and teach them to fly what they're going to really fly. Not sure. teach them what they, hey, learn how to flare this. Now that you know how to flare this, fly something completely different. Right. Roger has innovated our, our teaching industry. Sure. And in very strong ways. The... Uh, the method that USPA now uses their uh, their CAT their CAT uh, their CAT their ISP integrated student program. Thank you. Yep. Was originally the AFP program that was developed by Roger, uh, among other people, Chris Bagwell. I had a, a hand in in helping this uh, program, which was a living program, continue on. So once I moved down here. I brought Roger's AFP program, and we integrated it into an STP program. Chris Bagwell and I did modifications and kept it a live, growing program. And various people have taken over since then and continued it on to make one of the best skydiving training syllabuses. It was so good that USPA adapted it and created the ISP? ISP, yes, sir. Yeah. You know, you recently educated me on the fact that I had no clue you had a, a good hand in developing what's the STP program or Skydiver sure. Training Program. And at this point, um, maybe may a little bit self-centered to say, but I have now probably had the largest influence because I've had the longest time served in the program, so I've had the most influence because I've been in the program for 12 years. Sure. Uh, graciously, Steve has given me a lot of control and trusts my decisions on what I think should and shouldn't change. Right. And, and I can't thank him enough for trusting me. But what I learned recently is so fucking awesome for me because you're one of my dearest friends. Like, you know, a lot of the people come on, we have a lot of our good friends on, and, and that's not by coincidence. <laughs> but you've been a very, very good and dear friend to me, uh -huh. and, and you're amongst a, a very tight circle. And to know that I'm helping carry on a legacy that you set up makes it so much fucking cooler. It's kind of sweet, isn't it? I mean, because <laughs> what you're feeling from what you're developing from me is the feeling that I had when I was developing it from Roger Nelson. So you're my daddy, and Roger's my granddaddy. Uh, granddaddy, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're my daddy. And it's it's an awesome legacy. It's, you it's, guys are it's having a, a little thing. bit too, too much scotch over there, I think. <sighs> you want to kiss now? <laughs> You know, I would really, uh, if if the day ever does come where we get uh, Steve Boyd on the show to talk a little bit more about Spaceland history. He's considered it. He's got some, he? some really great stories oh, about uh, flying that otter and uh, getting his first otter from Roger Nelson. Super oh. entertaining story that I'd love to have him tell. I, I would love to be in on that as the third side well, guest. That'd there, be, there's another seat over there. That would be awesome. Boom. That'll be a show that Justin's going to have to be relinquished to the visitor's chair. Nick, you and Steve can sit here, <laughs> uh -huh. and we can make this work, dude. This, this yeah. will work out. Um, Steve Boyd actually has listened to the show, tunes in live every now and then. Sure. And uh, he hates when we get all technical and serious. He likes the bullshit stories, and he's right. like, get to the fun stuff already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I, I don't blame him, man. Um, uh, and Steve, if you, if you are listening, uh, sorry for the whole technical thing. You would not believe some of the stuff. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. I can't probably talk about that. Oh, I probably can talk about that. Hold on. I need some more scotch if I'm going to go there. <laughs> so much for not drinking. So, so DJ, <laughs> have you heard about uh, what's happening on April 7th? On April 7th, dude, if you look right behind your head, Nick, you will see my confirmation email from Houston Karaoke. Yeah, I noticed me. I actually saw that when I uh, yeah. when I sat down. That's why it's been in my brain. April 7th. Um, 
is the transition weekend all about canopies at Skydive Spaceland. So you get a bunch of free canopy coaching if you have less than 100 jumps. But fuck that noise. That's super cool. That's super awesome. April what if 7th, I have less than 8,000 jumps? The 8,000 jumps, I will applaud you. <laughs> Boom. Um, April 7th, when we're done with business that day, karaoke night opens up. At 9.30 in the morning... I'm going to have to find somebody to go pick up a karaoke system for me in Sugarland. So if you're a local jumper, if you're a local listener, and you're paying attention, hit me up. I need to send you to Sugarland on the morning of April 7th to pick up a karaoke system for me. And you have to actually pay attention to directions to how to set this system up. That evening, we're going to have... The, the catalog is over 25,000 songs of music choices we have. It's going to be a karaoke system with four mics. So if you want to do a fucking group set, a group show up, fucking have at it. Our grand opening, the guy who's going to open the show, is going to be our very own Mr. P. Nicklot. He just found oh out right God, now. Oh, my God. You just put me <laughs> dude. I just threw you I, on the I'm bus. so happy that you said that because I've been fantasizing about it. Dude. I will, I will gladly open up this show. This is going to be So good. the chances of me getting up and doing karaoke are slim. What are you talking it's about? It's realistic. Yeah. But I'm going to host Asian. it and see it. Dude, that's fine. Karaoke means crappy American singer. That's what it actually means in Japanese. <laughs> well, well then would... you're perfect for that. I am, dude. Because you are American. And, and I you are a crappy, crappy singer. singer dude. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, karaoke night. If, if you guys want to check it out, please tell your friends about it. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we can get a Facebook listing going here very sometime shortly soon. I just need somebody to help me create a banner, a Facebook banner, to help advertise karaoke night. So if I if I have anybody out there who has some decent Photoshop skills that I'm staring at right now, who could help me with this? As you were talking, I was like, is he not going to fucking ask me to do <laughs> this? <laughs> I was staring through your laptop at your face. Sorry. Yes, you were dealing with your kombucha. No, I I like to peel the label off of things. I just got done cleaning this bottle up. But yeah, uh, no, I'd be happy to, to design that banner. As soon as you get that done, we'll go ahead and launch that up there. So April 7th, guys, gals, come check it out. Come hang out. It'll be a really good time. We're just doing fun. karaoke. Oh, yeah. I just got a good idea. Of what, yeah, yeah. I'm going to make that banner. Don't you worry. Thank you to Mitch Hansen. That's the name last weekend. I could not remember who was the first donator, the first supporter. Right. This Gravity Lab event is completely sponsored by our fans, our listeners, and Nick Lott's mom. Sweet. Um, <laughs> so really? Your mom? That sounds like an insult. It does. But it's, it's not. fully true. <laughs> yeah. His mom threw down some cash to help support this. She still doesn't know. Yeah, <laughs> she threw uh, cash at me for Christmas, and I was like, Fuck, "Thanks, mom." So show up April seventh. Have a good time. If you guys want to support it, let us know you're bringing beer. Let us know you're bringing yeah. booze. Let us know you're supporting the party. Tell all your friends. Come out and hang out about it. And if you're thinking about really having a good time, make sure you bring some really good scotch for my friend here, DJ, and Rabbit, because Rabbit yeah. likes a good scotch too. Uh, yeah, you don't have to bring it to me. Because I'm going to steal it from DJ. It's all oh, straight good. up, man. Uh, Balvini, 14-year Caribbean cast, one oh, of my favorites. McAllen, yes. 15, another one I really like. Yeah, even the McAllen, 12 is, is really good, If you too. can get the Alberfeldi, 18-year limited edition. Sure. And you can send it to me because you can't get it in the U.S. that I've seen yet. Get me oh, that. you're really, you're really get searching for that, aren't you? Dude, no, I'm fucking straight up. I'm telling that dude on the boat I know, uh, bring me Alberfeld the 18. I'm not, you've had it. Do you yeah, think I'm I fucking just kidding? Had, I had it this evening. It's yeah. awesome. It's you guys are making drinking sound super boring. Weren't you going to tell us an inappropriate story before no, you started drinking that before guy? he's going to do that, yeah. I'm going to tell you Safety Day is in a week and a half from now. Mm -hmm. Safety Day is March 10th. We're going to actually be airing it on the Rating Center uh, Facebook page. Ooh. Justin Grubbs, our producer of Gravity Lab, is actually going to be producing the, vi the the live stream for us there. Nice. 
uh, safety day. We're going to talk about aircraft safety, equipment safety, the fatality report from last year. We're going to talk about all sorts of really cool things. Daniel and Gulo, uh, JP Finari, my wife, Valerie Marvin, uh, Hank Pruitt, almost everybody, but Valerie's been on the show are going to be hosting them here in Houston. In Dallas, we have a really good crew, Sarah Wilson, uh, Dan McLaurin, Ben Nelson. Give Ben a giant hug if you see him. Give him a is going to host it. Why do you want to go to Safety Day? Grab his butt. Not for safety, but because you can win a free ProTrack 2. Oh. In Skydive Spaceland Houston and Skydive Spaceland Dallas, yes. we are going to give a ProTrack 2 away awesome. at both locations. Oh. To win the ProTrack 2, you have to be there because at the very end of Safety Day, we're right. going to hand out a pop quiz. And you answer the pop quiz, the person with the most right answers wins. If there's a tie, it turns into a raffle of those people. So Jay's not invited then, right? Who's Jay? Jay. <coughs> oh, Vienendahl? Yeah. He can't read, so that's, oh. that's not a problem. Uh, oh, so he, <laughs> so he cheated before. He's from Louisiana. He can't fucking read. Oh, that's a good point. So show up, man. I'll tell you right now, the pop quizzes will have a uh, questions like, hey, what's the information of the data here? Some of the questions might be, hey, what color shirt was Rabbit wearing when we did this presentation? We're going to have a lot of fun with this quiz. Oh, sweet, sweet. So check out Safety Day. If you can't ma Making it's the best way because you can't win a Pro Track 2 unless you're there. Okay. However, if you can't be there, tune into the Rating Center Facebook page and we will share them all. Nice. Where's your disgusting story? I forget. <laughs> then I want to go to a story, one of my favorite stories of Skydive Spaceland. I moved here in October of 2005. Hold, hold on. Before you tell that, do you have enough time to tell it while I go to the bathroom? Okay, because that was like two seconds. Go. Okay. I'll bring you back in. All right. Thanks. Okay, I'm listening. Oh, dude. I, I'm also looking for things to Photoshop our faces on for this uh, karaoke I'm banner. I'm wonderful with that. Um, dude, karaoke night was actually your idea. Was it? Yeah. So I got an idea with karaoke night. Tell yep. me where you feel about this. I'm going to take that 100-inch screen I have in that projector. Yep. I'm going to put it off to the side. I'm going to put my Wii hooked up to that motherfucker and let people play Wii bowling and Wii tennis on a 100-inch screen. Oh, I thought we were going to watch skydiving movies, but okay. You want to put skydiving movies no, in the back? No, fuck it. Let's play Wii. I like it. It'll keep the crowd there, right? What's the best idea? No, whatever keeps people around. Because I think it would be even more fun to to be up there on stage singing karaoke if there is a big crowd, like, more like you're on stage, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like you're on stage at the concert and you're the star. There were people there instead of everyone just fucking off, hanging out on the back porch, smoking and drinking. Oh, you know what? Our my original idea. See, I, I got a I got short term memory, man. My original idea was to go ahead and link all of the re all of the uh, film festival videos together, and loop them on the screen behind the singers. That's a good idea. Let's do that. What? Let's do both. So we got to just put we bowling up on something else. I mean, we could go back and forth, right? So people are bowling while people are singing. I'm in. Yeah, whatever. Whatever whatever people want to do, just get we'll have both. We'll have the video up there, have the Wii there. When someone wants to play Wii, we play Wii. Perfect, man. Someone um, wants to wrestle on the mat, I'll do that. Let I'm, me know. I'm in. You know what's going on this weekend, Nick? This weekend. The USPA board meeting. Do you know why they call it a board meeting? Because it's usually really boring. Boring as shit. I've heard uh, this talked about quite a bit, that it's supposed to be the largest gathering of this uh, of this type in its history. Is that true? Um, well, I'm going to get to that in one second. Here's what I know about the board meeting. At this board meeting, they set the date for nationals the following year. We know the date for nationals. It's not the date, the location. We know the date for nationals this year. So after this board meeting, I'm going to have two pieces of information. Nationals for this year, nationals for next year. This year, why does it matter? Because after this board meeting, I'm going to actually uh, get with you, and we're going to set a date for the next film festival. You in? Yeah. Why would I? Why would I not be in, <laughs> DJ? <laughs> why would I not do that? Yeah, I'll definitely be in. 
what, what's your fun? It's an inside joke. If anyone listens to the show a lot, they'll know what's going on. Do, uh, do you know Hugh Faulkner? No, you don't even have to tell him. Don't even yeah, tell him. Cool. Okay. You want to know what we're talking about? Watch, watch Fucking uh, pay attention Tom, to the show, man. Tom Noonan's uh, Gravity Lab appearance. Episode. Fucking wonderful. What, what episode was it? That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> so we're going to do that. And then the following Bitch. year, uh, you, what's her name? What, what's our accountant's name? Kate. Kate Potter. Um, <laughs> her and I are actually setting up in 2019 a all-you-can-jump package reunion. We're going to set a date. Episode 32. Tom Noonan, listen to that shit. Episode 32. Uh, in the next month, Kate and I are going to find a date that works for the drop zone to say this week we're going to have our skydiver all-you-can-jump package reunion, and it's just going to be an event. We need to tell these people who from are international a year ahead of time. So we're going to have a week that's just if you were here for the all-you-can-jump package, come hang out with us again. So and jump for free? Uh, no, I don't think we can do that. Uh, but we're going to set the uh, film festival date for that one as well at the same time. That way we can have the film festival with all these all-you-can-jump packages, bringing videos from all over the world. Sounds awesome. Is that a good plan? Yeah, for sure. Fuck yes. Business meeting adjourned. So one of my favorite stories of Skydive Spaceland. Cool. Yeah, go ahead. I moved here in 2005, October. Okay. And when I moved here, what just happened? 2005, October. We had a brand new... Really long, really black, paved runway. I was gonna ask. Oh, two thousand five. Yeah. Duh. If the hangar, if hangar one or yeah. runway came first, I was gonna ask that. Hangar one. Hangar two. No hangar. Like you said that when you showed up with your buddies to this place and you saw this hangar look looked like Skydive Chicago. Yeah. I was gonna ask then if there was a, also a runway. <laughs> Were you really? Because you didn't know. No, I didn't know. So it got paved then. I moved here, and I actually didn't know the runway was going to be paved. And I was shown a video by a guy that we called Zach Attack. I knew him, Zach. You know Zach Tessier, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, dude, I, dude, Nick, these fucking otters would be off-roading. And you know what we call Winer's Corner? If Yeah, I know that corner. What, what is it? I sit there and whine. Uh, the the wine or the the spot inside the door where you're usually getting blown with the wind and yeah. you're whining about it. The co-pilot's uh. seat. The co-pilot side back corner door. Yeah, the right, wind blows right into side it. back corner, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Now, that's Weiner's corner. Dude, I saw a video of a fucking wave of water rolling through that yeah. top crack where wind goes to the Weiner's corner. Uh-huh. And fucking a wave coming to the plane. Whole and everybody yeah. crushed up in the plane. You know exactly what video I'm talking yeah. about, don't you? Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought I was moving to, dude. We didn't have a paved runway. It no. would jump in. Like, what the fuck? No. And I, and you know Houston gets a lot of water, We right? do? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. For those of you listening, Houston gets a lot of water. It can commonly rain seven inches in an hour someplace in Houston. Yeah. It happens regularly. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> I'm. That's what. Oh, God, there's three thoughts at once. That's what happens when you drink Monster. Who is going to? We we want sponsors or. Advertisers. Advertisers. <laughs> Monster, the advertising. Why are you looking at me? Look at the camera. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm done now. Um, so what happened is, uh, originally we had... Nick, this is for you. So, so fucking pay attention. I've been paying attention. So originally we had the hangar, hangar one, and everything else was, was dirt. There was no cement outside of hangar one. There was a dirt runway or a grass uh, runway? Uh, a mudway. It, it, <laughs> it was grass at times. Mostly it was dirt because when you run an aircraft over it, uh, it turns to dirt. All right, because you're not going to grow grass on what airplanes that are running 
100 loads a week. High traffic areas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was dirt. But when it rained, dirt becomes mud. And in our uh, in our field, that mud is gumbo. Uh, we call it gumbo because it sticks to everything, and it's really... <laughs> I thought it was going to be because there are crawfish living in many parts of it. That may be part of it also. <laughs> I'll go with that. Um, so it was dirt, and the otter would create ruts in the mud, and the ruts would get so deep that it would be axle deep. So whenever you're flying, and by this time, I'm, I'm flying the otter. So whenever you're going and making that turnaround, it could be a foot deep, the, the wheels a foot deep in the mud. And then those foot deep ruts, after it would rain, would have a bunch of water. And water, dirt, mud. And that's the water that would fly up in the. So when we're taxiing away, all that water that's in the rut would get thrown up. The props would throw it back, and you would see big waves of water as we're taxiing out. Now, one of the things about gumbo mud is it's very slick. So as you make the corner, yeah, I definitely notice that trying to catch tandems and that shit out there. Perfect, a perfect example. <laughs> I fall down a lot. Well, imagine if you, instead of catching tandems, you were driving an airplane yeah, around. Yeah, sure, it gets a little a, a little twelve, hairy. eleven thousand pound airplane, and you'd make the turn, and it would just keep on sliding in the direction that it was headed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you gotta you have can, space. You land, picture it now. Tokyo drift. Oh, it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it was. The The advantage that we have is we had two engines. So you apply power to the outside engine, and it would turn the whole airplane without any steering. You the, you could leave the steering wheel straight, apply power on one engine, and it would turn it with a straight... Did you ever do donuts out there in the airplane? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, in fact, if, if you came off of the runway, you know, because the runway is, is dome-shaped, so as long as you're on top, you're good. But as soon as you start sliding off, then all of a sudden you have to turn it back uphill to get back on top of the dome in order to keep on going. <laughs> but, of course, it's slick, so you would turn it and you would go almost sideways down the runway as you're going and getting enough speed so that... And then it would lift off, and then you'd be back up on top as you're breaking ground. Hearing you talk about this makes me feel like such a fucking bitch that I complain about some of the things that I do, you know? And it's like, oh, I had to walk into my shoes or money, and I got to land in the driest place on the on the property. So what he was talking about is all of that water. It, yeah, you're worried about your shoes? Yeah, I'm worried about it The entire back of the back wall looked like somebody with projectile diarrhea. You had 20 <laughs> skydivers all pointed their ass to the back of the airplane and they all fucking shit at the same time. That's what the back of the airplane looked like. So it, it was... finally lived up to the smell of a jump plane. Oh, my f- and, of course, the pilots had to get the staff to clean it. So Dude, did that add weight to the air to the airplane? Sure, having no, all that no, mud? Oh, no, no, because mud's uh, uh, anti-gravity. Go fuck yourself. Did no. it add enough weight that you could notice it? Like, did you, could you yeah. feel the difference in the load? It's, it's an otter that carries 23 people that has carried probably, what, 28 people? That thing is a tank. It, it, if you can stuff, anything you can stuff into it, it can carry. 
So what it's I'm like saying is the, the mud, you really couldn't tell there was added weight to it, but it, there was, and it slowed us down a little. It's I'm before sure. my time, so it's only hearsay, but I understand that there, we did have a specialty aircraft that would visit us for events, and they were just <laughs> on the longest runway they could get, and when they were loaded down with mud flying out, they were worried about getting out at times. Yes, yes. So uh, Especially uh, Skyvan. Skyvan and Casa is what I heard, the yeah. tailgates. Yeah, yeah, the tailgates. They they would back. They, I mean, they they would go back into what is still dirt now, and fire all the way up, go full power, and then go release the brakes. First, they have to rub their hands together and go. Oh, let's hope this works right, man. Yeah, I actually have also heard that you guys didn't always skid all over the runway, and sometimes you never had to steer the otter because the ruts got so bad it would just travel in the given set of ruts that were there. And and that's where I was going with that. Also, is uh, even though it was domed off, and uh, eventually we would get ruts that were down the runway, and the ruts again were a foot deep. So you got to the point where you just put the wheels in the ruts, you know, and, and there would be hard pack also. So you'd be floating along the top of it. But when you turned onto the runway and you're ready to go down, then you're in the ruts and it's like, okay, well, power to it. I hope it takes off this time. And, well, yeah. We, we, I mean, we never crashed one, so obviously they always <laughs> it worked. They always took off, but man, Steve eventually invested in that paved runway, and, and and first of all, for the longevity of the plane and the productivity of of the environment, thank you, Steve, for doing that. Yeah. But fuck that noise. I ain't getting wet inside an airplane. I ain't having a dude. We can't get twenty three jumpers to fit in that otter, can we, Nick? It, it's it's a clusterfuck. There, yeah. ba. Actually, I think it fits pretty well. But I mean, there's there's times that people make it difficult. Oh, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Dude, fun jumpers. In those days, 23 jumpers had no problem fitting on the benches, did they? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or in the aisle. Yeah. You know, because nobody's sitting in the back where the, the mud was flying yeah. at the time. Dude, everything was trashy, everything was wet. And, and as he's done these things, he's built up the land. So we really, like you said, we're spoiled. We're, oh, my shoes are muddy. Yeah, we are the spoiled. The whole plane. <laughs> shoes are muddy? Here's one when we have to take off to the north on the dirt runway. So we have to taxi all the way down to the far end. On the dirt, in the uh, mud. On the mud. And, <laughs> and, you know, doing doing the hand jerk with, you know, adding power to one side and then power to the other because you're going on and off the runway and each side and you finally get down to the other end. You got to turn around and, oh, my God, you got off to the side and we're stuck. You know, it's, it's a foot rut. So when you get off of that foot rut and you get into the soft grass... That it sinks all the way down. And you have to dig and tuck a plane out. And you have to tell all the skydivers, climb out and start pushing. <laughs> because there's no way to get a truck down there to pull you out. So what you do is you power up and you have 23 skydivers that are all pushing on various parts of the aircraft in order to get it out of the mud, up on top. Okay, now climb back inside because we got to get to the end, turn around and take off because we're skydiving. We're skydivers. Let's go. Yeah, so you're walking through the mud? Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. hating it, too. Hashtag Spaceland Spoiled. Can't believe we're still jumping in this mud. <laughs> Man, it's yeah, a, it, was, it was really fun back in the w- early days. Would the field ever be so bad that the plane couldn't fly? Did that ever happen? No. <laughs> no. I mean, it, it never did. It, it got so bad that we started flying lighter that we didn't put 23 on. But... 
we never shut down. Well, someone told me that an otter could carry anything you could fit into it. Yeah, oh. it, it can, given enough runway. <laughs> oh, Nick, I forgot to tell you. Uh, fuck off. <laughs> okay, I'll go do that. Go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> man, Spaceland has definitely grown over the years. When I first showed up, the runway is just paved. Um, we only had the one hangar, and the packing room was a third of the size of what it is now. Correct. And the packing room has almost tripled in size. Yes. When the packing room was tripled in size, before that happened, the shop, what you and I would affectionately call Hoops Shop, mm-hmm. was a shed on the side yes. of the hangar. And and that shed on the side was eventually built into hangar number two. So the shed was there, well, and they, no. went, they went, okay, well. No, no, the shed that turned into the bunk room that's now in Stephen's yard shed. Oh, that's right. There was a legit oh, fuck, that shed. Was, I forgot all about that one. Basically sitting where uh, the, the corner that uh, Cheryl and Tammy used to pack in. Right. Yeah, that corner, there was a shed, and that shed was, was, was the maintenance shop. It was yeah. Hoop Shop. And they decided to build the maintenance shop. So, Nick, if you look at the side of Hangar 2, there's the maintenance shop. When I showed up, they started building that building, and it was just that building. Right, right. When that building was done, they put the... The shed. You're, you're talking about those three maintenance bays? Yeah. That spot? Okay. That was yeah. a, that was its own building. And in, in, in Stephen's backyard, have you ever seen a shed in his backyard, the bigger of the two sheds? Yeah, I know the shed story. I know that yeah. the original bunkhouse. Yeah. They moved that shed on PVC pipe, rolled it around the hangar. We swooped the fuck out of them all day oh, yeah. long. The other thing I swooped the fuck out of is the air boss during nationals, and he always wanted to yell at me till he saw it was me. Ha! <laughs> it was rabbit. <laughs> Yeah, I was there, boss, for the 09. 09. The 09 and I swooped yeah. the fuck out of you twice, and both times you turned to yell and went, oh, it's DJ, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Um, we rolled the bunkhouse over there and then plastered the walls or the shed and turned into a bunkhouse. Right. So so all these things have that grown. Matthew Peterson moved into. Did Peterson leave God, in that yeah. shed? Yeah. I thought, uh, Ori told me that he lived in that shed for a while. Yeah. 15 months. Or, Ori has the record for living in the bunkhouse that I know of at Spaceland. It was an obscene number of months. In in the bunkhouse, but in that shed, in, after... In that shed of a bunkhouse. A, after he Hoop moved the, out of his maintenance hangar into the, the three-bay hangar, and that shed became a bunkhouse. And that bunkhouse was uh, used by our now current rigger, Matt Peterson, for I, a number of years. I don't think Peterson lived there that long. Peterson almost immediately moved into... Peterson! Are you, you online? You want to know how dumb my stupid brain is? I almost just went to Google Matt Peterson living <laughs> in the bunkhouse. That's, that's how reliant my brain is on information on the internet. <laughs> that is I, I immediately awesome. realized how stupid that thought was when I went to open up a new tab. Yeah, but yeah, that was my that was my first instinct. I oh, by I, I know he was there for a couple of years anyway. I by far Ori does have the record, and Ori's I think at less than a year and a half. So I could be wrong, but... Uh, but that's in the hey, shed. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. In, the, in what's uh, Stephen's big shed now. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It basically, if, if you've never seen this, there is four sets of bunk beds or a total of eight beds, four on each side of the wall, a door in the center, and the space between the bunk beds is basically the width of the door in the center. Right. And they cut a hole in the back of the shed, plug the fucking AC unit into that right. hole. Right. And there were no. That was it. You're in a shed, completely dark, AC unit, (laughs) 
And in the middle of the night, some chick is so drunk, she gets up and squats and pisses in your yeah. fucking duffel bag. I won't tell you where to. <laughs> I know you, who that was. This happened, man. Some chick who's staying in the bunk room in the middle of the weekend got shit-faced drunk, <laughs> dropped trowel, pisses in a dude's duffel bag. I forget who it is, but dude wakes up and he's like, <laughs> and he's drunk enough that he just rolled back or like, I ain't dealing with it now. Fuck uh, it. I'll Goes back to sleep. Morning. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was good stuff. <laughs> That bunk room has seen some horror stories. I thought of something. Go for it. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, more stories, right? Yes. Uh, the ghetto. How did the ghetto get started? How? Dude, that pad used to be part of your for, pad. For anyone listening, uh, the ghetto is a trailer park that's on the property. It's got a space land if you're not familiar with the uh, with the area there. Thank you. I think Steven. the original ghetto was in uh, Paris. I, I think that was the original. It's uh, the first ghetto park. I know of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Stephen likes to call the ghetto South Park because he hates the name the ghetto. Right. And so, if you know of the Southern RV Park on the drop zone near the corner store South Park, also affectionately known by the majority of life, is the ghetto. So originally in two thousand two thousand one somewhere in there, uh, when Steve was building it, uh, and he said, "You know, come on back, come on down, come to work for me." And I said, "Well, that's uh, great. Where am I going to put my trailer?" Where am I going to put my, at the time it was an RV, uh, where am I going to put my RV? And he says, well, you're going to need to find a place or, or build a home. And I said, well, aren't you going to build a ghetto? He said, hell no, there's no way I'm having a fucking RV park on my drop zone. It's not going to happen. I said, well, I guess I can't work for you then because this is where I live. This is my house and I can't afford to get a house. I can't afford to rent. I need to live in this. And he says, <sighs> okay, I'll tell you what. We'll hook up some electricity, and you can park over there, and we're going to run some electricity. That was the beginning of the ghetto. So as you drive into the South Park RV park, as soon as you go through the gate on the right-hand side, uh, where Will's place is now, but there's a, a little cement pad right yeah. there, that's where I parked. And I said, okay, putting electricity right here. And so they started out with that and said, well, if I'm going to put in one, I might as well put in 10. So that line was the beginning of the ghetto. Later on, how you doing over there, DJ? He's got a cramp in his ass. So he's doing stretches. Oh, wow. And you can't see it either. Oh, yeah, we don't have turn a it, camera angle turn for it, this. Turn it, turn it on him. Turn it on him. Okay, stretch up, oh, dude. Jesus. Stretch up. Yeah, there you go. Oh, look at that butt. Oh, my All right, God. so back yeah. to anything that's not his butt. <laughs> at least he didn't drop it. That's good. <laughs> okay. So, so that, that's, how the, uh, that's how the ghetto started. That's how the South Park started. Because you were too stubborn and poor to do anything else? Yes. And, and that was one of my conditions on coming back to work for Spaceland is I needed a, an RV park. And so he started it right there. Uh, later on, we've got uh, uh, big containers for sewage. And we would have somebody come in and pump out the sewage. And, and that would happen once a week or so. And eventually, uh, he got to where he put in a, a sewer system. And that's where all of the rest of the RVs ended up going. And I think um, uh, Will and his compound are the last of the non-sewage uh, RV park, and he holds on to that now. 
So that's where that uh, you know you got started. a serious living space when it's referred to as the compound. The compound. Yeah. Oh, he's got what three he's, buses or something. He's got a that? few buses, a few vehicles, and a trailer, a skate ramp. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's got he's got his own party over there. It's, it's going on. It's a compound. It's it's actually awesome. You you okay, DJ? So what? Okay, what percentage so of the year do you spend at uh, at Spaceland and, and most years? Say it's that again. Like uh, I, I noticed that sometimes you travel a lot and then sometimes you're home a lot. Yeah. So like you do you have your schedule set up a certain way that you spend a certain amount of time at home? It it it's kind of like this. Um, I do whatever is necessary in order to make things run. So if they don't need me out of town, then uh, I'm in town. And you'll see me around a lot. But when we're short on pilots, then uh, I'm the first one to volunteer. You know, send me out. Send me wherever you need me in order to make things work. Uh, It's kind of a symbiotic relationship. I take care of of Desert Sand, which is the aircraft company for Skydive Spaceland. I take care of them, and they take care of me. So uh, when you see me out of town quite a bit, then the chances are we're short on pilots and I'm filling in. Well, you, you mentioned before that you uh, were nomadic before you came to, to Skydive Spaceland. Yeah. Do you feel like that gives you a chance to kind of connect with that part of your personality? Um, I hadn't thought about it that way, Nick, but yeah, it, it kind of does. I uh, As I get older, I get to where I want to settle down a little more. And be in one spot. I'd love to just be here and be in my house that I'm buying and, you know, be settled down. But then I get sent out of town and I go, oh, <laughs> I really like that. I, re- this, I remember this. This is fun. This is good time. I get to meet people that I hadn't seen in a while. And I get to reconnect with uh, the skydiving community outside of Texas. And... It's really great because the skydiving community is a family. And when you can't go around and see your family and you're stuck in one spot and you got to wait for your family to come see you, it's not near as much fun as being able to leave where you're at and go out and see people. And it's really great when you can go to different drop zones and as soon as you walk on, they go, Rabbit, hey, how's it going? I remember seeing you in 02. Really? Where at? Well, I was up in Baldwin, and you were flying, or I was down in San Diego, and you were flying, or you were jumping, or you trained me, or even go further back, you took me on my first tandem (laughs) back when, or even further back, you did my static line, you were 17, you were wearing bell bottoms, and you had long hair, and you know... I still get those. It's funny that you mentioned that. I, I don't bring up a lot of the Facebook uh, comments anymore, but as I've been scrolling through, there have been a lot of comments really similar to that. Of Rabbit took me on my first tandem. Yeah. I think Hoop said that you were his first tandem pastor. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, that's... And, yeah, uh, yeah, and I rammed his head into... Hey, Hoop, I'm not sorry. I'm sorry. Not sorry. But no, that's not a surprise that... Uh, <laughs> oh, you, you know... That's um, a great story for you, by the way. Oh, I don't even remember who I was going to ask. But, yeah, no, I hear that a lot about you, that, uh, you know, you have a lot of connections with a lot of people. And I think part of that has to do with your, you're a pretty friendly guy. You're a pretty personable guy. I, I like folks. And I've noticed, like, maybe it's been within the last year, I've kind of noticed you 
coming back to the rabbit that I first met? Yeah. Would you? I, I went through a period, Nick. I'll, I'll give it to you, and I'll give it to the audience and what have you. Uh, I used to be very personable. I got into a point in my life where skydivers were just doing stupid shit, and they weren't thinking. And I never really got that connection of why are people being so stupid and doing stupid things and dying and and not thinking when they get rigs on. And I got real angry with that. And I went through a point in my life for a few years that you saw where I was like, I'm fucking tired of these stupid people doing stupid stuff when they get into rigs. And it's just lately that I've gotten to where I'm accepting that and wanting to help that and wanting people and help people think about what they're doing and get their minds activated and thinking about shit on the airplane and thinking about where they're going and how they're getting back. And it's become fun for me again. And it's become fun for me to be around skydivers again. So everybody that knew me in that period that I was... uh, uh, a little tense. A curmudgeon. I'm curmudgeon? That's a word? Then uh, I apologize to all of you for that, but uh, I am having a whole lot more fun now than I was then. And so was there any particular thing? The reason I brought it up is sure. was I, I was hoping that you were going to have some advice for someone who uh, has found themselves in a funk and is wanting to return to the person who they know they are someplace. Was there was there any you know a certain mode of thinking a, a realization an epiphany of, it, of any sort that led you to that? Uh, let me think about it while you go to our next sponsor. Curmudgeon is a bad-tempered or surly person, according to Dictionary.com. <laughs> we went online. I love words like curmudgeon. Uh, also, fishnooked is a word that I just love, and it's probably you think word. that's going to be in the dictionary. I don't know. Fishnooked. Fishnooked. We got Fushnuket, man. She's Fushnuket. Fushnuket? Fushnuket. It's Yiddish for fucked, and I think it's a made-up Yiddish for fucked. It's it just, uh, well, Yiddish is all made up in the first place. Um, Rabbit's thinking about the advice to, to grow <laughs> yeah, from and, a And uh, Nick, uh, no, I don't, I don't have any particular life event that happened that made me change. Oh, it's just that I've, uh, maybe that I'm, I'm getting older and I'm getting less critical of people that I that I I used to be very critical of people and and now that's just all kind of going away. Um, I'm living on gravy time now. I'm I'm at that age where I've accomplished the things that I've wanted to accomplish and now I'm in every day that I wake up I go <laughs> I'm alive. Let's uh, let's enjoy it's this. It's all still here. Yeah. So you say there's no life event, but I'll tell you from uh, from a perspective of being sure. one of your good friends, the thing that I've noticed and the thing that you and I talked about earlier today okay. is a level of self-awareness. I think you suddenly became more aware of your curmudgeon behavior. Yes. I think you became more aware of you being an asshole to people. Yes. And and I don't know what brought that awareness about, and I think it's maturity. I, I, I will go with self-awareness. That I, I internalize a lot more than I used to. There was, a, there was a point where everything external was pissing me off. And now everything external has a perspective, something that I hadn't looked at before. But empathy... Did, didn't we talked about empathy for a while too, uh, feeling what other people feel mm-hmm. and relating to that? And uh, I fully admit I was Nick. 
I was I was a, a dick for a while. And I think we've all been there. And hopefully I'm pulling myself out of that. And no, it's I've, just, I've noticed it's just the change, and that's why I wanted to ask about it. Yeah. Is that uh, it seems like when I first met you, you were super... You were a little bit of a hippie is kind of how I thought about you, which is not meant to, to be an insulting thing by and, any means. And it's not. But uh, You love that statement. That you were, you know, happy, bubbly, positive, fun, huggy, uh, very affectionate sort of person. And then I could tell that there was something that had changed, and I didn't know what it was. You know, yeah. we all have lives outside of work that... Uh, kid I, that I don't. <laughs> I, I, I mean... I, I'm serious, Nick. I, no, I, know I, don't, what you mean. I don't. I don't have a life outside. No, of work. I. I have been at work every seven days a week for the last. I don't know how how long. I know exactly what you mean. Sure. But that doesn't mean that when I leave work, you know, that there still might be things that that happen that affect my ability to be positive at work. Sure. Um, and I think we've all found ourselves in in, uh, in a in a funk of some sort at, at some point. And I think that it's really helpful for people who are having that down in the dumps. Like I'm stuck here. I don't know what to do. I uh, I know that there's more than this kind of moment. Right. Of like what what can those people do to to feel better? And so that's I guess that's the advice I was uh, hoping to get from you. And some sometimes that's just a self realization thing of knowing, man, I've really been an asshole, and I can't even. If you ask me why I don't have a good justification, I'm going to put effort into trying to not be an asshole. I'm I, I'm going to throw this at that is uh, at some point you have to set in your mind that you only have a limited number of days in, in on this earth, and you can either spend it happy or you can spend it pissed off. And some people are way happy to be pissed off all the time. They're they're just those people. And there are some people that are way happy to just be happy and positive all all the time, all the time. Scooter, that's just who they are. Scooter, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scooter, if you're watching, because I saw you on Facebook earlier. If you're watching, you really are the person that I kind of think of when I'm down. That I want to bring myself back up. I think a scooter. Have you ever seen a rabbit ride a scooter? <laughs> I have. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbit was getting Rabbit's been a tandem instructor. He was uncurrent. Yeah. And Rabbit was doing his recurrency as a tandem instructor and he had to take somebody on a front ride. And I and and usually when you have enough experience, I'm like, I don't care who you fucking take. Take somebody you want. He took his good friend Scooter. And Scooter, known Scooter. as Tammy Hart, looks at all of us and goes, Have you ever seen a rabbit ride a scooter? <laughs> <laughs> that was on her back. And it was and, awesome. And dude. Scooter was a, a tandem master, too. One of the yeah, guys. Scooter was there when I first showed up. Yeah. Wonderful young lady. lady. Yeah. She's awesome. I say young lady. She's older than me, I'm pretty sure. No. Um, she's got that young personality, though. She, yeah. she does, man. She's a wonderful spirit. I think she's younger, th- older than me. No. Her and I are about the same age. No, that, I, I think she's only like 23 or something. I think this is the first time that... No, maybe it's not the first time. Isn't this but, lies we're supposed to tell, right? Th- yes. Rabbit. I love no, but you, Scooter. Uh, Scooter is listening, which is uh, it's great when that happens. <laughs> Someone <laughs> says, hey, if you're listening right now and that person happens to be love listening. Love you, Scooter. Love you, baby. It's great. Snowballs. <laughs> Snow cones. Snow cones. Snow cones. Snow cones. I still got the Snow cups. Oh, dude, I got rid of mine finally. Oh, did you? Yeah. I got a stack of them still. Rum and Red Bull are snow cones. And yeah. Nick, we have these plastic cups that Limon. you fill with Red Bull. And then you put Limon uh, uh, vodka in the other cup. And then you shoot it. You drink it. And it mixes as it pours into your mouth. It's great. And if you were around Scooter and this dude named Craig, Craig Floyd, super yeah. awesome friend as well. Snow cones were coming out so much so that we probably had sixty-ish snow cone cups amongst the group of us. <laughs> I think I got about twenty. I had about twenty. Yeah, and, and we finally just <laughs> threw them away. I'm sorry, Scooter. We love you. I You're wonderful. Throw I, I threw you them away. <laughs> um, 
you were talking about your self-realization of we have only so many lives to live. And <laughs> Craig Floyd also <laughs> chimes in, Snow Craig? Craig's watching? Craig. Craig yeah. Floyd's Apparently some people like Holy you, I guess. Holy shit. Oh, dude, man. Craig, Craig how do you... love you, man. Yeah, how do you know Craig and Scooter? Uh, it's funny. <laughs> when you say, how do you know Craig and Scooter? I remember this picture, and it was a picture of uh, Miranda... Uh, Miranda Lynn, and she was dating Ron Bell Bell, at the time. And Scooter was dating uh, Craig Floyd, and I was dating Ginger. And we were all sitting sitting on it. And two years later, we had all gone our separate ways or something like that. Uh, I I met Craig through Scooter when they were dating. And Craig is just a really fun guy, super super cool dude. I yeah. believe he's still doing uh, the keys. I still believe he has. Uh, no, he's up by Okeechobee, south South Okeechobee. Uh, oh, no, no, that's north, right, North Okeechobee. That's right. He's actually in Florida itself. Yeah. Uh, Hugh actually worked for our buddy Craig Floyd. Hugh is a uh, why would it he guy <laughs> for for Mister Lot. You gotta be kidding me. No man, Hugh got the funk though. <laughs> Hugh <laughs> Funk. Hugh Funk. Well, it's the most badass name ever. Yeah. Hugh Funk. My <laughs> Funk, bitch. <laughs> um, dude, have you ever seen a rabbit ride a scooter? We have only so many days, and you said, are you going to make yourself happy, or are you going to choose to live in anger? And and a good buddy of ours, Brian Tucker, who it's so yeah. ironic. I love I love his post, but I love picking on his post. Sure. And sometimes just to pick on Brian. But he, he made a post the other day and said... Uh, it, it, it's your choice to feel this way. And I'm sure. I'm paraphrasing. Um, of course, how we feel is not just a choice. We're uh, also a circumstance of our environment. We choose our environment. We can affect these things. But you're telling us, choose to see the bright side of life. Choose to, to be happy. Choose you, not to let it bother you. You, you, have, you have a choice to be what you want. And I know this is way Brian Germain-ish, um, but it's true. And... Brian Tucker, if, um, if if you're on Facebook and you want every once in a while to get a esoteric uh, quote that makes you think, uh, friend up Brian Tucker because he comes up with some good stuff. He does come up with some. I love picking on him, but they are good. Yeah, yeah. And it, if you think about it, you do control your own destiny. You do control your own thought. You do control your life. That doesn't come external. Yeah. A lot of things do come external, but how you interact with those, well, that's what I learned in the last couple of years. I've had a a really good friend uh, that was living with me, and that put on a lot of stress onto my life, and I let that affect me. And at at some point, you just have to go, all right, I'm going to make this conscious decision to be who I want to be, not what my external influences cause me to be. And yes, Nick, this is about the time that you say, "Hey, can we start talking about skydiving again?" Hey, you guys, want to start talking about skydiving there again? You go. Thanks. God, I love skydiving. That, that gets and, me out. And it doesn't. Things. It really doesn't matter. Uh, it, just I want to close what you say. People hear sure. you say that. People hear Nick and I talk about that. A lot of our guests have talked about this conversation. 
And we make it sound so easy when we say this, but I'll tell you right now, you're ta- we're, we're, we have three people in this room who are talking about this conversation. And all three of us fight every single day to make the right decision, to choose to hate myself enough to flip this fucking tractor tire over and over again, to choose to be <laughs> polite to the person that I just want to tell to go fuck themselves. And that's both you and I together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you hear us say how easy this idea is, we understand, and I think you would agree, it's very difficult to follow through. Very difficult. And if you think it's impossible and you think it's hard and you think you're struggling every single day doing so, you know me, Rabbit. I can be an extreme asshole. Yep. I struggle every single day at being a better person. Nick can be extremely like shut off, doesn't want the world to interact with him. And he struggles every day to make sure he gives the people around him what they deserve. Um, at the same time, we give each other the respect to say, hey, Nick has his headphones on. It's a good time to let Nick be. If you ever see not, somebody not with headphones picks on, up on social cues. if you ever see anybody with <laughs> headphones on, like I walk up to a Packer and he's got headphones on, like big giant headphones. I just drop off what I have and I let him be. They, yeah. they may be listening to something. Um, it's not as easy as we say, and we understand that. We're not sitting there saying this is a magical formula. It's no, it's hard it's work. not. It's it's very hard work, and it's not something that came easy to me as well. It was something that I had to consciously, and I consciously think about it all of the time. Do I slip up, and am I an asshole to people? Yeah. Do I want to be? No. Do I want to change that? Yes. And as long as I'm consciously aware of that, off we go. And that's what happened. That's what happened to me, Nick. We we were talking about when I went from the happy rabbit to the mad rabbit to where I'm at right now. And nice, that should have been right in the mic, you Dick. That was a burp, awesome. Everybody heard it. Don't worry. Was that in the mic? <laughs> I thought I had everybody that. heard it. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, I'm so. not sorry. Okay. Um. So I I, I want to close this out with two different directions. And number sure. one. When's the last time you made a skydive? Uh, it's been it's been a couple of months now because I, uh, I I made some jumps, but then I took the plane to Puerto Rico, and then I was in Cluiston for a week, and so it's it's probably it's been a little while. And Are I think oh, uh, I was gonna ask if you're still flying in the tunnel at all. Uh, I am dead broke. I mean the the tunnel when the tunnel opened up here in Houston, I went. That's it. I can sell my gear. Because I'm going to go, I, all I need is the free fall. All I need is the tunnel. I don't need my gear anymore. And what I found out is it's really motherfucking expensive to do w- like what you did. You just, you, I mean, I don't know how you, you got through the money. The, the only way that I, can, that? that I can afford to fly in the tunnels by doing work for iFly. That's the only way. That I produce video for them also. And they started paying me in, in, in trade on some projects. That's the only way. Financially, well, I, there's no way. I what's do the it. name of your video production company for iFly? Uh, iFilm. Just is say it, it. It's just a joke. Don't worry. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, if without that, there's absolutely no way. With the with the amount of money I make, I, it just wouldn't be a hobby I could afford. And I'm buying a house and a car, and that takes all of my salary. I've got no disposable income anymore. And I used to pick up uh, in the last couple of years. I picked up side jobs which gave me enough money to be able to go to the tunnel. So I've got 10, 15 hours in the tunnel, but now I don't have any more money until the house and car are paid off or I pick up some more side jobs. So I haven't been in the tunnel, but if anybody wants to take me to the tunnel, I'm free, I'm wide open. All you got to do is just let me know, and I'm on it because I freaking love that tube. 
and it takes you back to skydiving as well. I asked when the last time you skydive is. I think you and I are in a very similar phase of our skydiving career. I am a fair fucking weather jumper. Yes. And so it's been the winter, and it's just now starting to warm back up, and it's about to start drying up a little bit, and now I'm getting that itch to it. Nick and I have been talking a little bit about jumping again. And you haven't jumped in a couple months, but when you do jump, you do a few jumps a day at a time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, I don't know if this is true, so I want to ask you. I believe it's the truth, but I'll tell you my favorite type of skydives. I could go out on a skydive, and I don't shred, but I could go on a skydive with some ma- massive shredders and actually have the most killer kick-ass skydive, and that would be super cool. Or I can go out on a really, really shitty skydive with a super tight homie, and that's the coolest skydive I know how to do. Skydiving with my good friends mean way more to me than quality skydives. Here's the funny side of it is the last probably 20 skydives that I've done mm-hmm. were have all been solos. Why? There wasn't anybody that was around that I have a skill level with. Because I'm trying to develop my sit-fly, and I'm trying to learn how to head down. Uh, in the tunnel, I had just gotten to net drills, and it was so much fun. Tex, Tex had put me on my head, and we started working on net drills, and he was just lifting me off the net when I had to stop. And, well, that's exciting. I want to I continue that, and I want to expand that. And I'm really not very good at it. I'm <laughs> I'm really bad at free flying, but it's a whole lot of fun. So I can't find anybody that would be willing to just sit out there and watch me. Well, yeah, he's flying around. That's great. And I don't want anybody to have to go through that suffrage, I guess. So I go out and I do solos. And okay, I got with Jay and said, uh, listen, this is where I'm at. What can I do by myself next? And he says, okay, try using this with your leg. And I go up and solo and try that perfect it okay what's next i probably really need to just grab somebody and say come on let's go skydive man i want to discourage the conversation you just had because what you just said is i don't want to waste or ruin anybody's time with my skydive i want to talk about one of probably our biggest fans a guy who listens every time he watches every show live to a portion in his entirety he watches it on facebook kevin craig super cool dude kevin craig is skydiving one day at spaceland and i walk up and like hey what are you doing I'm going to go backfly. How much backflying experience do you have? Oh, just in the tunnel. I think I'm trying to learn it in the sky. I'm trying to work on it. I just wanted to skydive with Kevin Craig. He was going to backfly. Well, how about I just go lay a base so you have somebody to look at and something to reference? Oh, oh, oh I don't want to ruin your skydive. I'm like, no, dude. You're going to do things. I'm just going to sit there and watch you. I got nothing else to do. And I went I had so much fun watching Kevin try to figure it out. And I love Kevin to death. Great guy. Definitely trying to figure it out would be a good description. The next jump, hey, man, you mind if we go out this time and we try it this way? Hold on to him in a side body. Sure. Get him level, get him under control, let him explore some, ex- some yeah. stuff. And Kevin swallowed that bug of, man, DJ knows how to free fly better than me. I will tell you not much better than him. And, and I don't want to ruin his skydive. And he said, fuck it, DJ wants to skydive with me. When people are interested in skydiving with you guys and gals, don't worry about I don't want to ruin their skydive. There's a reason they're asking you. Back to it. I could go out, and, and Nick's an acquaintance. Now, Nick, you, you are one of my absolute closest friends. We've really, I, our friendships developed quite a great bit, and I, I appreciate you. But pretending Nick is just an acquaintance of mine. Super massive shredder, super gnarly flyer. I can go out with him, and he can make me look like a badass because you can fly around me no matter how unstable I am. Right. Or I can go out with you and watch you work on something. Dude, you're my tight homie. I'd much rather fly with my friends than with a massive shredder. So if you're out there thinking like Rabbit is, I don't want to ruin anybody's skydive or waste anybody's time, being with my friends. Is what skydiving's about. First off, I reject your compliment. Second, 
I was actually I tried to do a solo for the first time in a really long time. This I is love like you. <laughs> go fuck yourself. Uh, like three weeks ago. I love you. I love you too. And <laughs> I was sitting in the very back of the plane. I was gonna be very last out. I was gonna do a solo free fly. I was psyched because I haven't done a solo skydive in since I came to Spaceland. I haven't done a solo unless we're talking about hop bobs. And so I'm sitting in the plane. Like I got geared up to go to the loading area to see if I could get on someone else's jump. Nothing was really super appealing. So, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do a solo. Great. And then, so I'm sitting in the back of the airplane, and uh, the group out before me are these two French guys, one of whom's on the jump package. The other was an older gentleman who was just visiting. And this older gentleman was really nice. Uh, He had said hello to me earlier in the day, just a stranger, didn't know me. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just going to go out on a solo and work on some things. He's like, why don't you come with us? You can film our jump. (laughs) Which... (laughs) Like, I don't know, I could have said, you know, I film skydives for work. Like, I just want to yeah. have fun. I, but he was so he was so kind. I said, okay, cool, I'll come with you. What are you working on? And this is a belly guy. He's in a booty suit. He's a belly flyer. He's got a frap hat. He's a belly flyer. And he's like, well, I want to learn how to sit fly. So I'm, I'm working on back, back flying. <laughs> I'm like, great, awesome. Knowing that I've just signed up for a shit show is the <laughs> thought that, that goes through my head. And, right. Uh, so uh, they tell me about the exit they're planning on doing. Okay, cool. I, if I was coaching you, I wouldn't do it that way. But it's too late in the game to to switch up the plan now. So let's just let's do the jump you guys had planned. I'll be there. We're, we're gonna see what happens. So I climb out. I'm on the step. These guys go to set up in the door the way that they said they were gonna set up. The guy who invited me on the jump did exactly what he told me he was gonna do. The other person didn't do anything that made sense to either one of us. It was still <laughs> super awesome. So the exit comes off and he is back flying right out the door pretty nice. well. And he geeks me. Like he's look he looks at me and he smiles. And he's having fun already. I'm i I'm, I'm already super psyched that I came on this jump. And then his eyes look to the other person who was supposed to be on the jump with us, and he wasn't. And then the look of fun and enjoyment on his face his eyes shot back to me in a hurry i'm like oh fuck what's that guy doing like, <laughs> this was the look on his Let's face talk. it was it was awesome but he kept doing what he what he had planned on doing he actually went back to his belly and then was doing some over the top transitions to his back so on the ground i explained to him why i wouldn't do it that way why i wouldn't try and connect back flying sit flying and belly flying in the way that he was sure but it actually was helping him to get into a, a sit-ish position. But he back flew really well. He was keeping a heading. I was able to fly right next to him on my, on my belly. It was a fast fall rate, but uh, it wasn't something that I struggled to stay with. But, man, I had so much fun just f- filming this guy and then you know, gave him the same, same conversation if someone had hired me to do a coach jump. I still had that exact same conversation with him on the ground. And, man, he was super appreciative and super happy. And, man, I was, I was really happy to share all of that with him. So if you ever want to invite me on a skydive with you to do whatever <laughs> it is you want to do, okay. I will be happy to share whatever knowledge I have about whatever it is you want to learn. And, and uh, let, me, let me say this about that. You have a, a lot of experience. You're very, very current. I am very, very uncurrent. Awesome. He's so, kind of with me, too. Uh, well, <laughs> what, what I'm getting at is when I talk about, uh, I don't want to ruin your skydive, there's a lot of, I got on the airplane and went, what are you doing? Yeah, okay. What, well, what are you doing? Oh, no? Okay. You're doing a tandem? I'm going to go out with you. Well, I am not current enough, or I'm uncurrent enough that I know that I don't want to... Uh, be a hindrance on a skydive that I'm not going to be able to keep up with. Uh, well, I would go with this four-way, but 
it's all girls and they're really light, and I'm not going to be able to stay up with that. Or I would go with the tandem, but I haven't been with a tandem and I haven't been in the air that much, and I don't want to cause a problem, endanger anybody. So I make the conscious decision not to. It's not a bad thing. Okay, well, no. I'll, I'll go do solos. I, you know, I got stuff that I want. I want to work on. There's I discourage stuff I anybody from, from doing solos. Honestly, like if you, especially if you're trying to work on something, man, doing it wrong and getting comfortable doing it wrong. The fastest way to do that is do it on a bunch of solos. And I speak from experience. Sure. And from watching it, watching it happen to other people. Safety Day, there is actually a slide titled Donner Party of One <laughs> and the Danger of Solo Skydives. Solo looking at Bill. And by the way, the picture of the solo on the skydive is Guru. Just saying. Love it. <laughs> um, uh, and, and I will be fair to you. You've done some of these solos not out of necessity because you have asked me on multiple occasions to join you on those jumps. I've just never been available. Sure. And I absolutely meant it then, and I still mean it now. I want to go do some more fun jumps with you. Okay. Guys and gals, if you're out there and you've gotten to know Rabbit and you know Rabbit, invite him as your friend on a skydive. And and I would love to go go up and on my days off and go jump with somebody. I, I just stopped for the few months because, to be quite honest, I got tired of doing solos. And I really am not in an experienced level to go, hey, come on, uh, let's you and I go jump. I'm just not comfortable with that. Uh, the last really good fun time I had was with Tommy. Tommy Miller. Tommy Miller. Love that and, boy. And we went out, and I sit flew, and he flipped over on his head, and we docked, and then he went into a sit fly, and we docked, and there's video of it. I think I got it on my Facebook, and it was a really, really good time. But that was him doing a bunch of work and me sitting there and enjoying watching him fall. Oh, surely there's a balance. Mm -hmm. uh, some of what you're saying is true. But if I'm if I'm flying with someone who doesn't sit fly very well, so I'm definitely not flying up in my head and taking a dock with that person. Okay, oh, I'm I'm I was laying a good base. I'll, sure. I'll, I'll give you that. But I wasn't um, I wasn't becoming better at what I was doing. I was only doing what I was doing and watching and being quite impressed with what Tommy was doing in front of me. You were Tommy Spaceball. Essentially, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I can fall. I can fall a solid sit fly. I can I can do that, but well, if I want to move around, or if I want to carve in a sit, or if I want to change levels, or I want to change body positions and be relative to an, a space ball of my own, uh, I didn't do that on that skydive. Well, you're gonna have to get current with the skill set that you've got, sure. before you can start adding any of those cool things in anyway. Sure. So and, you might as well just keep skydiving. And the problem that I have is I'm <laughs> flying all the time. So I don't have... Hey, I've seen some other pilots around. Throw JP in there. Show, show Jorge what's up. Uh, what's the new uh, Adam? So unfortunately, at Spaceland, we've seen a nice influx of pilots for the winter, but they are now shipping out. Yeah. And I do believe as they're shipping out, we're already at a shortage. We're already working at, at, yes. at that. So if you listen to this podcast and you have good pilot qualifications, you have a good background in flying... Why don't you hit up Desert Sands and maybe see if you uh, are interested in flying for uh, Spaceland? As, especially if you're a skydiver turned pilot. The, man, you guys are my favorite pilots. I will look to the front of the plane at Spaceland and see that you're flying the plane, and I don't even fucking care what the spot is because I know it's going to be at least good enough. Yeah. 
And then after the second or third load, it'll be fucking great. And it's because of your understanding. Matt Wampler is another one of our pilots, and he's got some jump experience, so he yeah. gets an appreciation for it. And having a high-experienced jumper and a high-experienced pilot, you guys definitely do an exceptional job. Thanks, man. Man, I want to. We, we need to close out the show because Nick turns into a pumpkin very soon, and, yep. a, and his girlfriend Sam starts like throwing fist of furies from five feet, <laughs> um, actually from four foot high. Um, four eleven. Four eleven. Respect. So, uh, <laughs> as a as a skydiving pilot, man, one yep. of the jokes that I know as skydiving pilots go is skydivers are self unloading cargo with attitude. Yeah. What do you want jumpers to know that can make their life better? And make your job easier. What would you want to share with those jumpers? Uh, hey, Nick, look up uh, JP's podcast because everything that I want to oh. say about what pilots need from skydivers is on JP's podcast. He did that very well. I, I listened to that, and JP's got some some great uh, information there. Go watch that podcast, and that will answer your question. I'm sorry that you're not. I'm great with that answer, dude. That's you weird. just promoted the podcast. That's the best answer ever, <laughs> dog. Yeah. That's uh, episode 17 for anyone who wants to go check out JP's yeah. episode. I'll, uh, Definitely go check out JP's episode. He's got a lot of good information as far as the pilot-skydiver uh, relationship. I was really torn of asking JP to be on this episode because this weekend is the uh, board meeting, and he, uh, he used yeah. to be an advisor to the board, and I still deal with the board a lot. And I thought, JP, it would be a good opportunity to, to spark the conversation of regulation and, and USPA because JP is very knowledgeable. Yeah. But I will tell you guys, uh, JP doesn't know this yet. Uh, maybe he'll know it after this. I am looking at bringing JP back on very soon. That would be awesome. And very shortly after this board meeting to talk about a little bit more about ATC privatization and what's going on at the regulation uh, levels of skydiving. As a matter of fact, JP just landed at Hobby about five minutes ago. So, hey, yo, girls, if you're cute, you're hot, you're sexy, and you're single, yep. go to Hobby, pick up JP Fenari, and uh, <laughs> see what you can do. <laughs> oh, speaking hot, sexy, and single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goddamn. Oh, fuck JP. If you're <laughs> hot, sexy. Rabbit single. I'm single. Rabbit yeah. is single, girls. And looking. Always looking. Ready to mingle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm good with that. He likes outdoors. He loves hiking. Yep. He loves horses, man. I, I absolutely have a I passion like, for that. I like skydiving, Like skydiving, he's looking for a sugar mama who can pay for some tunnel time. <laughs> I call this gravitylabmatch.com. That's what we're going at. Boom! <laughs> yeah, if you got money and we can go to the tunnel, I am in. Um, <laughs> guys, gals, make sure you check out Safety Day. We're going to have that at Skydive Spaceland Houston, Skydive Spaceland Dallas. We'll have it on the Rating Center. I'm going to be there for that. Before we go too much further, Mr. P, any last words, any last sage advice? Hey, Rabbit, thanks for coming back. Hey, man. It's always Anytime. good to see you. Good fun. That's you, all I got. Do you have any guests announced to, for you to announce? Oh, uh, soon? I've been talking to Mr. John Walker. Who's John Walker? John Walker is a tunnel instructor at uh, iFly Houston Memorial. He was the lead instructor there from the time they opened up until a couple months ago. He stepped He stepped down. I did not know he stepped down. Yeah, I think he's, uh, he's the new dad, and his wife also works there. M. And I think... Um, I guess we'll all let him explain why he... But yeah, save it. But uh, yeah, I've, I've started uh, flying with him in the tunnel a little bit, and uh, he's a really excellent coach, and uh, he's a good dude. He's someone who I always enjoy talking to. He's someone who... Uh, he's really... Uh, I talked with Stephen about this, Stephen Boyd. He's someone who you can talk with him and really appro appreciate appropriately placed moments of silence. 
if he's someone who just has a, like someone who's got a good pause, you can just sit there and enjoy silence and you know let a point sink in or let a thought uh, digest a little bit. So uh, so I'm excited to talk to him. So I think uh, I think we may be doing that next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, we're hoping John Walker will join us. Actually, John Walker, I met when he had 20 skydives visiting Houston, and eventually he became a member of a VFS team out of Eloy. So John's not just a badass tunnel flyer. He's also or was a badass skydiver. Now he just mainly flies in the tunnel. Don't know if he skydives lately. So it would be a super, super cool perspective. And, and I dig what you're saying. When John pauses, I can't wait to hear what he just digested and had to say about it. So it was a lot of interesting conversations. Also looks a little bit like Kramer. Just going to put that out there. Kramer, Seinfeld? No, no, thank yep. you. Yep. I, I, I stopped and paused because I pictured it. <laughs> thank you. Um, so we have him coming up sometime soon. Uh, Joe Getty is going to be joining us April 5th. April 5th is actually the anniversary of the launch of the podcast. That's the first time we release an episode. I hope he's not joining us in the landing area. Joe Getty will be joining <laughs> us. And if you've ever been to Spaceland, <laughs> Joe Getty there. to the landing area is our code word for we need emergency help. Mm-hmm. Joe is actually a registered nurse. He's a traveling nurse, and he goes places to places. He's and a hell of a guy, too. Hell of a guy, and yeah. used to be a full-time skydiver. So we're really going to be able to talk a little bit about emergency, res- emergency response with Joe That'll Getty. Be great. Things like that. Uh, April 7th, we were hoping to have PD in town. PD won't be in town until right now. I just talked to Bo today, the, t- the tour rep. We're hoping to see PD. Uh, we'll confirm the dates as soon as possible. Right now, the rumors we're having is July 14th and 15th, the same weekend as pre-nationals at Spaceland. Mm-hmm. Bo has agreed to come onto the uh, podcast. He's really excited about coming on and doing a show talking about the demo tour and, and how the demo canopies and, and some canopy education. So we have Bo coming up. Uh, TJ Langren hopefully will be coming in town sometime soon. He's really committed and wants to do the show. So we have a lot of exciting guests that Nick and I have been lining up. We have a lot more to announce. Um, maybe, just maybe, we can talk Brian Menard into the show. Because Brian Menard has a topic I really hold dear to my heart. <coughs> Back from. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, God, come on. <laughs> no, I think you know, this, this, oh God, the show's almost over. I can't dig into this right now. <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and cue that music up, guys? Uh, <laughs> so, folks... <laughs> Tune in. We'll see what we have coming up sometime soon. Until then, we'll see you guys next Wednesday night, hopefully with Mr. John Walker. Otherwise, we will see you Saturday night at the Boardwalk in San Antonio, the Riverwalk, for the Skydiver Party. Check it out. Be friends with Chuck Akers, and you'll know more. We'll see you next week. Blue skies. Peace out.